0: You know, give or take, the route is 90 90 kilometers. Um, You know, I've seen um, routes as short as 86 and as long as 94, um, with around 6,000 to 6,500 meters of um, elevation gain. It's
1: gonna be really fast. And I had a horrible day. I got heat stroke. I lost all the skin on my feet. Um, I got dehydrated. And I remember coming down to the arch and touching it and going, thank effing hell, I don't ever have to do this again. (laughs) And I do have people there who heard me say that.
2: Uh, Like I said, the wheels were completely off at this stage. You know, it was all picture, no sound. Um, We got to the top and uh, Gavin was like, there was snow up against the wall as we turned the corner. Gavin was like, down the black stairs now? (laughs) Something I had hinted at, you know, in the weeks before it. I think, like, no, just get me off this darn mountain, you know, <laughs> just get me down. And I, I I was crawling sideways, you know, I was walking sideways at the, at the top of Donner, you know, I, I could clinging onto the wall, going down, like just taking sideways steps. <laughs> I thought, this has got to be the easy bit, and it's not.
3: Well, it was. I think uh, it was actually the wettest February on record. So the, the mountains were really slippy. So, like, uh, coming down off Binion, I had a bad fall. Um, But it wasn't as, like, it's it's just because it's so steep. It was, like, uh, off muck and more, and down off um, muck is just grass, so they were very slippy, Um, even though I had a new set of tyres on and a new pair of Innovates, I was slipping and sliding on, on there, like so.
4: That's part of the challenge, though, isn't it? Like as well, because it's oh, so.
3: Absolutely, like, look, it's half the fun, you know. It's just yeah. like to, to go out and, in in conditions like that, and be prepared, obviously. But uh, it's 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 enjoyable, you know. That's why we do it.
4: And that's the Danish Rankin' Round Winter Special, and this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have an epic episode for you this week. With all the races that have been canceled, quite a few people have been looking towards a winter round. And I thought I had an obligation to share some of the knowledge from the winter round record holders. We have Aaron Shimmons, who provides us with a brief introduction to the round. He is a well-known committee member who has also completed the summer round in both directions. Moira O'Sullivan, who holds the female winter clockwise round. Niall Gibney, record holder of the Winter Round Anti-Clockwise and Shane Lynch, record holder of the Winter Round Clockwise Direction. Bit of a mouthful. This episode is two and a half hours long, so we're going to go straight into it. So with great pleasure, I give you the Dennis Rankin' Round Winter Special. Anyway, the Dennis Rankin' Round, okay. Um, Aaron Simmons we have on the show today. We're going to break down a Winter Round. It's coming into that time of year. And with all the races starting to being canceled, the Garmin Skyline was meant to be on today. Nightmare for mm. that team. Um, it was canceled last minute. And it looks like that's what's going to happen over between now and Christmas anyway. So people, as they did in the summer, tending to look at the rounds, you know, to cash in on all this hard work that they've been investing in. So I thought it might be a good idea to actually do a piece on a winter round um, to make sure people are safe and secure and people knew exactly what they're up against. So I know you were involved, Aaron, with, um, the committee of the Dennis Rankin. So I thought you'd be the best person to give us a bit of an insight into what the Dennis Rankin round actually is, you know, how did it come about and what does it entail?
0: I think you're right. You know, with the, with the skyline being canceled, I'm, I'm expecting a couple of round registrations yeah. in, in the coming weeks. Um, Sorry, my dog's barking. (laughs) Uh, I'm expecting a couple of registrations to come through for sure. Um, But the ranking round, you know, it's been going, it was formed, uh, created by Barf after Dennis um, passed away during the Muckamore um, Hillendale fell race. Um, Dennis was, uh, you know, an important person in uh, Northern Ireland mountain running and also the Morton Mountain Marathon you know, longtime organizer of that event and one of the I think it was Nifra back then, um, also a longtime BARF member. So we created the Dennis Rankin round in his memory um, with the first um, recce of the round back in, I think it was September 2013, where we did it as a club relay. And that's how we got the original stats of the distances and the vert and all these sorts of things. So, um, I know back in on that, on that day, I started at sleeve Martin and went to the finish and it was a nighttime start and our objective at the time was simply, you know, get round in a relay in um, under 24 hours, um, and, you know, see if, see what it's like, uh, and we did. And uh, it's a, it's actually really interesting because whenever you look at the the route that we chose back then compared to the route in certain places now, it's it's very different. You know, there there are lots of well, not say shortcuts, but um, better lines.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you saved yourself there. <laughs> but that's that's yeah. it about the morns. Like there are very specific lines that you can lose, isn't it? There's one thing about getting back onto the wall, um, but there's quite a lot of open ground there. And you can take, you can lose like five or 10 minutes just going from one summit to the next.
0: Yeah, well, it's, you know, that's, that's really the, the art of fell running. You know, it's the, the fastest point from, from A to B, you choose your route and, uh, and maybe choose your route based on your strength. Are you a good climber? Do you like rough ground? You know, um, good runner, these types of things.
4: Because we had um, Gavin Byrne on last week, haven't released the podcast yet. And he was saying, like, I was taking a look at Stephen's lines, you know, after, because Gavin had done it in 14 hours, something. And Stephen's yeah. phenomenal time, obviously, 13 hours and 37 minutes. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Um And he was saying, like, you know, his line from Chimney to Rocky he came back down to the wall he said there's no way i would have taken that direct line that stephen took like the holes there they're leg breakers like but real fell running ground, like isn't it
0: yeah well you know stephen and his training partner and also winter round record holder uh shane lynch you know those are guys that i've seen in the mornings nearly every weekend leading up to stephen's stephen's round you know initially training for their five hundreds attempt where they bested my time. <laughs> and then <Out>. um <laughs> uh by by a good margin, thankfully. Um and then on to do the, you know, Stephen to do his ranking. So Stephen put in the work. You know, he, he's he's talented, um really strong climber. And um, you know, he, he racked the lines and he knew the he knew the route back to front.
4: Yeah. What does, what's it, what does it consist of then for those who don't know? Distance, and inverts, and meters?
0: Yeah. So, you know, give or take, the route is 90, 90 kilometers. Um, you know, I've seen um, routes as short as 86 and as long as 94, um, with around 6,000 to 6,500 meters of um, elevation gain. Um, And, you know, if you think about it clockwise, that first section from Donard Park through to um, Silent Valley, that is the biggest section. You know, like 2,000 metres of of the six and a half are just in that one one section. And the rest of them are are fairly even.
4: Yeah, it's a bit of a shocker, that first stage. Because it's broken down into five stages, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's in in five stages. um, And, you know you start first section and you're feeling fresh. You know, you've you've trained for it, you've 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 tapered for it, but do it anti-clockwise and that last section is a bit of a killer. Coming up from Silent Valley to the top of Binion is uh, you know it's in around a seven hundred meter climb. Yeah. You know, if is... whenever you take take into consideration We Binion as well.
4: Yeah, that is like even when I do the wall I always go clockwise to avoid that climb. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's uh, whenever you can tag that in at the end, at the end of a run um, or, you know, what I would have used section one as a, tr- as a training route um, out and back and um, turning around and coming back up from Silent Valley to Top of Binion, you know, it's nasty ground coming down the way and it's steep going up. It's just great, great training, physical and mental.
4: Yeah, so how long have you got then? So for those who don't know, it starts under the, the Donard Car Park Arch. The, yeah. uh, the whole point of the round is to take in every mountain over 400 meters.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know, it's, um, it's every mountain over 400 meters. There's a couple of caveats to that, but, um, that's, that's the, the, the basis for it, um, it's over five sections, as you say, and it's a real tour of, of the mornings. Um, it goes further west than any other circuit, um, you know, such as the 500s or Cassie's, Cassie's challenge. Um, it starts at uh, Donard Arch, uh, first section is through Silent Valley. The next section is through to Deer's Meadow, then from Deer's Meadow to Sleve Martin, Sleve Martin to Spellgadam and then Spellgadam back to the finish, back to where you started.
4: I was quite surprised and so i've wreckied each of the stages except for stage four i don't know why i keep on avoiding that one <laughs> the crumble like that everybody loves and enjoys and i was surprised on section three so we've talked about section one there you know it's quite a lot of vert up and down you know you're going down lamb back up binion mm-hmm. and you're really feeling it you're just going up and down the whole time like and it's quite quite stiff climbs there um, but really enjoyable and beautiful part of the Mons. Like, no better way to see it. You come through Silent Valley then. It's a bit tricky there um, coming off Doan then over to Ben Crom. <laughs> that's a real challenging line.
0: Yeah, you know, there. I suppose each section has, has, the, has the bit which is important to recce. you know, um, and that's, there's a good line from Doan to uh, Ben Crom. Um, and it's important to know your contour. You know wh- where do I need to drop down to, and and then try and find that path. And you know, you can you can you can have a good day. You can have a bad. You can have a bad day. Uh, I remember whenever I um, ran the round clockwise, uh, there was two walkers on the path from Doon to Ben Crom. And I could just switch off, <laughs> run down. And then I, it, it was, it was, you know, you don't get it that lucky. <laughs> yeah.
4: And you can like, and the difference the weather makes as well, you know, and you've got, you've got the fog and things like that. They can come into the morns very, very quickly. It can make it a very, very difficult sort of round. I remember when Shane Dunn has went around um, last year, like it was a criminal evening that guy went out in like.
0: Mm-hmm. His... Yeah. Th- full on storm testament to the class of runner that Shane is that um, run in such a quick time regardless um, you know he, 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 he had a good round.
4: But The stage 3 then um, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say I was disappointed in stage 3 but I just like climbing and getting the strength of my legs um, mostly because I don't have much speed so <laughs> um, I enjoy going up and down knowing it's benefiting me in some way or form um, but there's not that much climbing. There's not much vert, sorry, in stage three really, is there in comparison to the rest of the course?
0: Well, it's not, it's one of the smaller sections, but, um, there's still, you know, there's, you've still got uh, a good pull up, um, Eagle. It's probably the steepest climb there. You know, Moor is a decent climb. You've got some, um, a very steep descent down to Wee Moor. Um, it, it has its challenges, but I would say that the crux of stage three or section three is um, the navigation from uh, Shanleave to Finleaf. Yeah, there
4: there's, there is like a tree. It <laughs> <that> seems <laughs> there to, is. It's like has somebody planted that tree there. Specific. I know when I wrecked it first, and I kept on sort of going in that direction, like, um, and I was like, please be that tree, please. <laughs> yeah.
0: Although Finleaf has this, um, you know. This uncanny ability to always have uh, cloud blowing through it, so even on a on a reasonable day, um, you can easily lose sight of that that tree that you've you know which is your 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 marker to run to.
4: Yeah, um, we we sleep not, not much Um, is there an easy way back from there over to the windy gap?
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the way what Stephen or some of the faster guys have have done it, but you know, I think it's a case of and um, climbing or getting your right contour and uh, so you're not doing too much climbing or too much or setting too far uh, but there's there's no easy there's no um, there's no path it's 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 by ground uh, it's long grass uh, it's not great but it's, it's also it's not long yeah it's
4: very know. short like so you just have to put up with it and just get through it yeah back up onto eagle um so tell me about some of the rules and regulations around it then or the tradition is a better way to say it is it
0: well yeah it, it's a fell running round and therefore it's uh it should be done in the spirit of fell running you know um, you should be <laughs> capable and able to look after yourself um, be prepared for all weather and um, that means carrying the right amount of kit, safety equipment, you know, maybe a bivy. certainly um, essentials that you would carry in any fell race, map, compass, uh, whistle, uh, some emergency food as well as the nutrition that you intend to take along the way, whether you've got crew or not, but it's important to carry the right, the right gear, um, you know, full weather, uh, rain gear.
4: Yeah. It's important that you're able to get yourself potentially back off the mountain. And if you can't, then it's important that you can, you can stay there for the full night and be comfortable.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, whenever the round was created, we didn't have the benefit of, um, primal tracking, but now we, um, we recommend, but to to be honest, we, we really want every person to take on the round to have one of the primal trackers. Um, because you, you know, yourself, this has become an almost a a spectator sport at this stage through 2020, (laughs) you know, everyone loves following the dots. Um, so that's a, that's brilliant thing for safety because if somebody has a, you know, goes over an ankle falls and hits her head or whatever, there literally are hundreds of people that will see that that dot hasn't moved. And Rowan at Primal will know well that tracker's still pinging. It's not. It it hasn't stopped working, you know. So um, that that's a, a really good enhancement for the safety.
4: Primal tracking. Um, you contact them beforehand. You have to register for the round with the committee.
0: Yeah. So on dennisrankinround.com, the details are there to register. You know, uh, name, date of birth. Um, you know estimated time direction is it supported unsupported all the various bits and pieces we like to gather the information early because that um it saves gathering afterwards whenever people are are tired and i mean a lot of people complete the round and don't even tell us what time they finished and they just think oh well they probably know what time we finished then but <laughs> no you have to tell us that you finished in 20 something something minutes or whatever Um, but that often doesn't happen.
4: Yeah. And then you contact. So once you have that detail in, you have, I know it says on the website, you have to do it within at least 24 hours, but you want to be given that information a couple of weeks in advance, I suppose, or a week in advance. I know you're, I suppose, considering the weather and things like that and giving people a bit of flex.
0: Yeah, well, you know, as a, as a competitor, you, you, you want to look for the right weather window anyway, um. So for me to say well I'm going to do the round next Saturday um, I wouldn't really know until if I'm going to do it next Saturday until probably Thursday maybe Friday and um, so you know you, you give yourself some some wiggle room um you know so an email uh, a week two weeks a month you know we I, we get emails into the committee saying that I'm going to do the round on the you know, the 14th of September or August or whatever, in May, <laughs> you know, and the, the the response back is usually, thanks for the information, you know, let us know closer to the time if this is still the plan and, you know, get your tracker registered and all this type of stuff. Um, but a few days is all we need. Yeah. Um, Rowan um, is really the person to contact, give him a week or two's notice so he can arrange a tracker for you so
4: can you get them on this primal track and have a website then they you can just go on to get the contact details and then phone rowan he'll send out a tracker you'll start that on whatever time you're starting under the arch um
0: yeah under the rules section on the ranking Run website uh, there's a link to primal tracking's website um and from there you can c- contact rowan he programs it up so if you say i'm gonna start at 2am on you know sunday and um, He'll set it so that it's ready to start from two a.m. and I think um, my experience certainly trackers weren't used whenever I did the rounds, um, but I I used one of the trackers for Cassie's challenge, and I think I was told turn it on ten minutes before you start, um, when you're at the start location, and then you know there's a there's a wee video he sends you, you know you know you know okay that light's flashing that way it's working great.
4: Yeah, no, they are a great job. Like for anybody who hasn't used a tracker, um, I'd say most people listen to this now know about dot watching and are <laughs> yeah. aware of that. But it's great that it shows the tracker he has pre programmed with all of the summits and all the cons. Um, so every time you pass one, which you must touch, by the way, as per the rules um, on mm-hmm. the website, you must touch the con going by. Um, but the tracker does ping as soon as you come in the vicinity of the car which is really good
0: yeah and um you know i think it's important to note that there's no charge for the Primal trackers um but we ask for a donation to war mountain rescue and again a link um to that donation you know just giving or whatever type of page it is is uh, is on the Rankin website
4: yeah very important obviously like that they get I've never seen the Mountain Morn Rescue up the mountain so much as they have been since Furlough. <laughs>
0: so they need all the True. support
4: they can get, guys. <laughs> um, yeah. But I suppose a key thing about the Dennis Rankin Rain, this podcast is going to be about the winter event, and we'll touch base. I've got three great people on, uh, Niall, Gilby, Shane. Shite, I'm going to have to edit that. What's Shane's second name? Lynch shane lynch
0: <laughs> shit you, shit i was going you, so well there <laughs> you never edit them so i'm not i don't believe you <laughs> uh
4: shane i'll have to do that one though um shane lynch and moira o'sullivan so they're ready to break down the kits and how they went through their winter rounds which is good but the key thing is um for any time of year doing the den- uh the dennis is that the onus is on you you know this isn't an organized event in any way or form you need to be make sure you're properly prepared for it that you have wrecked it if you're not used to the moors or the mountains and things like that it would be unless you're a very experienced person that can read maps and is very good with a compass you know it's totally down to you as an individual to make sure you're in a good position to take the round on i think that's po- important
0: yeah <laughs> Personally, I, I think it, it's impossible to do the round without without wrecking. You know, if 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 somebody did the round without wrecking, I would question how they navigated.
4: I I've wrecked I've the first stage about six or seven times, and you're changing it every single time you do it. All right, look mm-hmm. at that! And look at that! I still get lost coming down lamagan
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that always happens. It's so easy to get the wrong line
4: just to finish then, um, what about ratification? Cause you have to do it within 24 hours. So the tracker does record your time.
0: The tracker records the time. It's usually not pinpoint accurate, um, because, you know, it needs to be stopped whenever we get the person gets to back to the arch. But, um, yeah, we get that, we get that time confirmed. Um, okay, so that's,
4: that's not the place really to get the time then. You need to know what time you start and what time you finish.
0: The start time is uh, supplied whenever, whenever you register for the round. So you're going to say, I'm, I'm doing it at two o'clock on, on Saturday a.m., going clockwise, etc." And then the finish time is something that's supplied whenever you email to confirm, I completed the round, here's my finish time. And then we can com- we check that against the tracker. And any other supporting evidence, you know, if you have any witness statements, any photographs, etc., um, and also at least two people on the committee will check the GPS plot.
4: Okay, that's cool. And then you get a certificate after that?
0: Yeah, we normally we do a, a certificate um sort of um award at the Mourn Mountain Marathon. And um Madeline Rankin is involved in that. Um Kerry Hall. Uh, Dennis's uh, daughter is one of the mountain marathon committee members, so it's kind of it all ties in nicely there. Um, but this year we didn't do that, so uh, anyone that completed the round will be um, getting their certificate in the post.
4: Okay, that's cool. Um, thanks very much, Aaron. Anyway, I think that gives an insight into the Dennis Rankin Round, what it's all about, um, some of the sort of rules. Check out the website www. com all the details on that um, for anybody who's looking to do the round so just stay on and we've got three people that, how many people have done the winter round is about five five people i think only have done the round and there's a reason for that it can be very treacherous it's mostly done in dark it's cold it's wet um, but also uh, it can be if you like that type of thing it can be a beautiful experience as well which is totally different than the summer round
0: if you like a, a a long wet dark walk in the mountains then that's the winter round for you yeah <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay we'll finish on that so moira thanks for coming on it is pronounced moira isn't it yes just give me a little bit of background about yourself i suppose it'd be good to get i know you're very humble sort of person like but what do you what would you deem to be one of your biggest achievements or accomplishments
1: i think that biggest accomplishment was failing the Wicklow round and getting back out there the year after. It's really hard to go back once you failed.
4: Yeah, because it's like you're so far through it and it's so difficult. I and mean, then you know when yeah. you fail and having to go back, you have to go back through that, the first part that you've it, already been through.
1: Well, ignorance is bliss. So you think the first time you're like, I'll be grand. Um, and then you realize how much it hurts and how many toenails you lose and how wrecked you'll be for a month afterwards. But um, there is something brilliant about mentoring where there's a lot of amnesia and then you forget and you realize all the good bits. So yeah, it was, and I think that's why I wrote Mud, Sweat and Tears about the Wicklow Round um, because it wasn't the fact of getting round it. That was kind of like, so what? It was actually the fact that I failed it and I, I somehow had the support and, found the strength to get back out there a second time when I could have failed again.
4: Yeah. But that is a key thing though, isn't it? There's always, there's a finish line in this all, you know, you mightn't get there the moment in time that you want to, but if you don't give up, you, everybody eventually gets there and that's what it's about, isn't
1: it? I think the mountains have their own thing. And if they don't want you to get round tough. And I think that's what makes us a little bit more humble because Literally, there are people who go back out and try the same thing again and again, and they don't get there. And I think that all gives us a level of respect for the mountains and also realizes that we ourselves are um, a guest in their presence and if they if we're and, and they can throw so many things at us. So there's no, you know, it's a place where we can fail and learn how to fail. And we need that. I think more and more these days.
4: Yeah, they they can teach us a lot, like can't they? Oh, absolutely. You know, w- as you were talking there, I could feel the hairs standing on the back of my neck because <laughs> I can I can really resonate with that because I would do a lot of night um, running in the morns, mm. just up on my own, like just very safe sort of you know run along muck and sort of meals over to the meals and back again. And I remember in a previous podcast with Barry McAllen, I know I've said this before, like, but I think it's relevant. You know, he asked me the question, you know, did you find the mountains or did the mountains find you? I thought, wow, that's a very good question. Like, yeah. um, and I understood where he was coming from. I never thought yeah. about it until he asked that question. Yeah. But I do feel now that the mountains did find me and that, you know, I do feel that sense, especially when you're on your own running through the mountains, you have that more clarity that you do get that sense that you're visiting there and that's, you know, they're in control. Do you know what I mean? And you need to give that level yeah. of respect to the mountains. And it's yeah. it's quite innate. It's a real deep sense. You know, and it's a real grounding sort of experience, you know, when you have that mindset.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was having a really good conversation with a friend of mine and we were going up, we were cycling up towards Belgadam. And we had the certain realisation that both of us feel very possessive about the mountains. And we know both know it's totally ridiculous because the mountains were there millions of years before us. And other people have the mountains. But she said, yeah, but right now, nobody else can see the light in the mountains just the way we see it. And I was like, she's right. You get snippets which are only yours and you can be possessive about But ultimately, no, they're not yours.
4: Yeah, it's very empowering, isn't it? Like I would do, I would have done a lot um, over the winter there, going across to Eagle. And you know, I'd, I'd be sitting at the car in the Eagle at ten o'clock at night after work, and the wind howling like, and you can see <laughs> the whole lights down below, and you're getting an experience, and you're looking at all those lights, and a lot of them have never even been there, you know. And yeah. it's it's a very personal thing, um, yeah. but it's very borrowed as well, you know. Yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful absolutely. thing, really, like absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, So, talking about the winter and the Eagle and the the Dennis Rankin round. So, just based on a lot of the races being cancelled due to the COVID situation, obviously during the summer, a lot of people then wanted to cash in on all their good mountain training and navigation skills and all that. And a lot of them turned to the Dennis Rankin round. And we had some great rounds this year. Um, My feeling is now coming into the winter with the races cancelled, people are now starting to look at the rounds again. What I wanted to do was take the opportunity to make sure people understood what that actually meant and we've had 88 people on the members list at the minute that have finished the Dennis Rankin round only five of them are winter rounds Um, I know that you held the fastest female are you the only female actually potentially
1: yeah I'm the only female who's done a winter round and there's been no females in the Wicklow round
4: yeah and so there's a reason for that obviously you know (laughs) talk
1: about respect (laughs) Talk about respect in
4: the mountains, like, you know, but the conditions through the winter and the dark nights and the cold and wet, Aaron was saying that, you know, if you like walking in the dark and you like the wet and you like the miserable, then you're like, the, you'll like the winter round. <laughs> but you were very lucky, weren't you? With the weather. Um,
1: For for, for a bit of it. No, actually not that bad. Let, let, if I just go back a, a little bit about why I want, because I did the summer round. I did my summer round in May 2018. And I remember and I had a really hot day and it was perfect visibility and people said it's going to be so fast because it hasn't rained in months. So the ground's going to be really fast. And I had a horrible day. I got heat stroke. I lost all the skin on my feet. Um, I got dehydrated and I remember coming down to the arch and touching it and going, thank effing hell, I don't ever have to do this again. (laughs) And I do have people there who heard me say that. Um, so I was kind of like, right, that's done and dusted. Uh, I don't have to do that again, but then what happened? So this was May, 2018. And then a couple of months later, my husband actually got, um, ill with depression. So it, that was quite a, a, quite, quite a shock. And it, it rapidly escalated, even though he did all the right things. And he actually took his life about seven months after I did that round. So 27th okay. of December, 2018. And so like, you just, it's, you can't, ex- even describe what somebody who's going through depression goes through and you cannot describe what happens family and friends whenever somebody has taken their own life it is just um, the ripple effects and what happens the world stops and it's very very difficult and I basically decided to take a step back I needed to I needed to still get at the mountains, but the idea of running was far too much for me. Um, so I did my mountain leader award, which is really a hiking qualification. And that was really good. I needed to slow down, but I needed to hang out in the mountains still. And so the mountain leader is very much about navigation, but also we were hanging out with other people, uh, doing emergency rope work, sitting top of Spellock, just shooting the breeze. And that was really helpful for me during that time. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so one big part of the mountain leader award is night navigation, you're brought out the whole assessments five days and there's two nights where you're brought out and you night nav and you're being, find, you're being told to find contours in ridiculous places on the edges of mountains. And I remember being out there and practicing and I remember thinking, and i, I doing this during January, February, and I remember thinking, this isn't so bad. You know, if you have the right clothes, if you have the right skills, being out in the winter in the mountains, it's like, it's not too bad. You can do it if you get the right conditions. So I had that at the back of my mind, but the whole idea of the Venice Rankin was just like, why would you want to do that again? (laughs) But then what happened was that it was coming up to Pete's one year anniversary. And I just said, you know something, I want to do something which makes, which would be meaningful to me. And I said, okay, well, I know there's darkness into light and they do 5K. They start, you know, in the dark and they, a lot of people who will do this five kilometers, either walk or run it. And it's a really community, a very strong community Mm. who have been built around, they've been affected by suicide. And I had also been inspired by the likes of Paul Tierney, who did the Wainwrights in memory of his friend who, and he raised 30,000 pounds, um, for mind and and mental health, yeah. equally Shelly Gordon whose husband, sorry, his, her partner took his life and she then did um, the spine race and raise money. But I didn't wanna raise money. I just thought that's too stressful. But I think running for a long time around the time of Pete's anniversary would help me remember. It would rem- help me in a way remember the struggle he went through, because a winter round is an extra level of struggle. But the difference was I did my summer round uh, alone. I wanted to run. I want to run fast. But this time I said, I don't want to run alone. I want to run with the people who have been supporting me all this year. And you would not believe how supported I was by the mountain community. And so my first person I turned to was my friend Paul Mahan, who actually got me into the sport of mountain running in 2006. And um, I said, Paul, will you do a winter round with me? And I was just like, oh, he's just going to say he's stupid. And the first thing he says, yeah, yeah, brilliant idea. Let's do that. Yeah, no problem. And then I just thought, okay, I need, I would like to run with other people. I just want to spend time in the mountains with other people. And so I reached out to the orienteering community and, you know, kind of hand over, over face and said, would somebody come out with me on the winter round? And I just got flooded with. Yeah, no problem. Everyone from Sharon Dixon, who was just like, this is the greatest idea ever, let's go for it. I know people who run with you. I've signed them up already. And I just needed that kind of cheerleader to mm-hmm. kind of go, yeah, yeah, though this is a good idea. And everybody knew the background of why I was doing the winter round, but we didn't need to talk about it. We all, just the showing up was enough. So I had like on my stage one, I had Billy Reed, I had his daughter, Chloe Reed. I had Jackie Toll, I had a, a guy, Shane Kenny, who I barely knew, but friend of a friend who was like, wanted to carry our bags all night. And then, you know, on to next stage three, Catherine Monteverdi and her crew, we had a dog along. And then Denise Mathers, you know, uh, um, just, and then it got to, to Dam and uh, oh yeah, there was Jeff Smith as well, got to Spalga Dam, a whole team of guys who I'd never even met. And Sharon like, right, these are the lads along with you, off you go. And the first thing, one of them was turned around and said, can I take your bag? And stay with me the whole time. And it was, what even was amazing, because I said to Paul, I just don't want any pressure. I just want to remember Pete, and I want to remember the struggles you want, and I want to make a statement that it's okay to be in the dark, and it's okay to go through struggles, and we will be okay if we're with each other. And I said, it doesn't matter if we go into 24, We've, our names are on the list. We don't need to be on the list again. And the funny thing is I did my summertime in 21 hours, 24 and my winter time was 21, 24
4: that is crazy. and
1: yeah, but I think that's the power of community, the power mm. of the mountain community that can get you through hell. Um, so you asked about the weather. Now, I've been in the mountains a lot. <laughs> and the, mount- the, the weather was meant to be OK, mild enough. I knew we were, there was a storm chasing in, so we were trying to get ahead of the storm. And so it was, it was OK when we were down in Newcastle. When we got up past Donard, I have never seen mist like this. It was dark with mist. I'd say the visibility was maybe about 10 meters. So literally, we were two meters away on chimney, away from the path and we couldn't see the path and i had billy reed beside me even billy was kind of looking <laughs> going i think the path's here somewhere <laughs> and so i it was like going up doan we were just just couldn't like paul was like we got to the top and paul said sure comes over in that direction and i said whatever you do don't go that way because there's cliffs there and he and i was like just follow me will you just follow me please because i know that we can't go that way, but you just couldn't see from the mist. It was just ridiculous. And so for the the the, the, the first two sections, we very much relied on GPS. Like I'm not gonna lie and say, yeah, we did back and compass and no, we were on GPS and thank God for GPS to get us definitely where we had to do out and backs and change direction yeah. quite uh, precisely and find paths, which literally, if they're sitting two meters away, we couldn't find
4: yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like the very next day, I actually downloaded mm. your GPX file and went out and done <laughs> the first two, or d- done the first <laughs> leg down into Silent Valley. <laughs> so I did. Like I actually was meant to join you that evening because Billy had sort of touched base for me, but something didn't. Uh. I couldn't do it, and it was it was funny because I was going up along the wall, um, from Rocky back to the Brandy Pad. And you can see all of these footmarks in the bog, and you're like, I wonder what's out there last night. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so Probably
4: tell find me something one of those blogs yeah so what what I wanted to do there um was make sh- the reason why I asked about your achievement was to show that there was a level of capability there before we went into uh, the winter rounds because there's a lot of mountain runners out there now Garmin Skyline was cancelled today some people are looking towards um the rounds based on that and I want people to understand you know it is fine until it's not you know, you really have to be par- mm. prepared going into a winter round. So tell me some of the things that you were doing in preparation, because the likes of the Moans and Dennis Rankin, like wrecking, like you couldn't put a price on it, could you?
1: You see, I think with the rounds, it's less about navigation. It's more about learning the route. So you will see people who just do lots and lots of wreckies. Like, and then if you're doing a summer round, you run the route. And you're trying to start at like 2.30 in the morning so that you, um, you're not having too much darkness. So you're following the wall. You get to uh, the Bog of Donard. It's light. You run in the light. You run in the light until you get to back onto stage five. And if you're lucky, you get off combat before it gets dark. And if not, you either go north down to the style and take a GPX or you run back by the Glen River. So the key thing around the difficulty around the winter rounds is the amount of darkness that you're going to get with the summer round, you might get if you're getting just under 24 hours, you're going to have maybe four hours darkness in the winter round. It's around 14 hours darkness and I'm not kidding you navigating in the dark. is really hard. It really is. I've I've only kind of got more comfortable with it. Because I've done my mountain leader and I've been under serious pressure to find little squiggles on the mountain, and and now I'm okay with it. But I st- but I, the reason I'm okay with it is because I know how difficult it is. And I will slow down, and that's the thing about <clears throat> mountain running in the dark. You have to slow down. So therefore, if you're just going to get us under a sub twenty four on the summer, that's that's really hard on a winter. Um, so because of just the the night's conditions so even with the gps the the two of us had gps's and still we lost time on it because you're just it's it's the it's the darkness means you don't know what you're you literally want to put your foot down but you're not can't really see where your foot is going in the heather Now going across from duane to Ben bencrom in the dark is no joke like every time (laughs) you've mentioned that you've mentioned running in the dark and you've been on a wall meeting yeah try it try it on really rough terrain you can't see you're putting your foot you can't see five meters ahead of you and you can't see that crag that you were meant to be aiming for if you were in full of visibility
0: yeah
1: so i would just like that that's the
4: reason why i go along the wall so i don't have to think about those things the
1: wall is a godsend to us here in the moors, but it means that you then think ah sure it's grand so um and i think that's where especially when we got around chimney where we, we actually got into trouble because we were just couldn't find those little tours where because the, the visibility was down so bad. Now, we myself and Paul went out for a recce on stage one in October. Really, really dark, but we had full we did have full moon and you could actually see all the summits laid out line. Brilliant. But you just don't know if that's going to happen, you know, so that so that darkness is an issue. The second issue is the weather conditions. So we we got it was it was actually it was quite mild. First one second one yeah so fourth it was really that spell got it started to blow it really was good start that's the storm that we were trying to get away from was was really quite cold so it just so happened we had liam smith there he put up a big tent i actually got into a second change of clothes because i just didn't want to get hypothermic i've been hypothermic before i don't want to go there again um so i got another change of clothes in and then we went out in stage five and um it was it was cold i was really lucky that I got in contact with Carol Morgan, who won the spine, the Irish runner who's based over in the UK. And I said, winter running, you've done the spine, what do I need to know? So she literally said, you got to look after your gloves, you got to look at your hands. So she just kind of, she went into a shop and took all these screenshots Brilliant. of all the types of gloves that I should use. And, ha- and she said, have spares, have spares. And she told me about batteries for my head torch. She don't, said- Don't, go, don't go too zero. quick.
4: Don't go too quickly there, actually. Sorry. Give us a bit of description about the gloves then. Because that's what- it's very important, I suppose.
1: So you, so for gloves, um, I, it, I had well they were fleece gloves, but then she said she preferred using mitts because they were just easier to get on and get mm. off, so that you didn't have to try and figure out where your fingers were going in between them. Um, but then also thinking about if you're actually going to still have holding the GPS as well. Um, were so they waterproof at all?
4: Or yeah, over mitts? Waterproof.
1: waterproof. They were op- Okay. Yeah, she said to get them big enough so that if you did have another want to put another pair of gloves on, then you could. Um, and so you know, it, you're just there's so many elements to it in terms of navigation, making sure that you're looking after yourself on the on the hill, that you're warm enough, that you're safe because we had people with us as well. There's there's so many so much more complicated arrangements. You know, we were weather watching, and we were mm. we got in we got in our round at the end of January, and I remember we said we had set another couple of dates in February, and every time we looked at the dates in February when we'd already done the round, one of those mad storms came in. So we went, "Geez, aren't we really gl- lucky that we actually got in?" Because a winter round is only a winter until if you do it in December, January, and February. If you get into March, then it's 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 a normal round. So yeah, and I, I, it's there's a lot to think about in addition to just a normal summer round.
4: Cause there's a lot that can go wrong. Like, isn't it? you talk about your hands, you know, if your hands go, that's it. I think there was, a, a yeah. about two or three weeks ago, we were going over Binion and there was a North wind blowing and I got frostbite in my hands, you know, and that was like three weeks ago. So. Ouch. That's October. And yeah, it was just at the start of October. So it just shows you, you know, um, and, the, and I think you see, the very next day, the, the very next day it was roasting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think you see, I'm, so the other element, which I mentioned was about the mountain leader award and basically the mountain leader award qualifies you to bring people into the mountains in the UK and Ireland. And the way that the assessors said to us, they said, I will look at you and think, would I trust this person to bring my 12 year old child into the mountains? so the mountain leader award very much is constantly safety 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 and if you do something on your assessment that is unsafe you fail so you have to think about everything in terms of making sure that you have rib plans making sure that you have your own equipment making sure that you have equipment for the people who you're with that you've got enough food that you have out plans you have to think of all of that and i think i had that all in the back of my head to help me then to to do a winter round. Now, I'm not saying you have to go and do your mountain leader, but I just, I took this very seriously because I knew no other woman has done it. And so there must be something about it that's difficult. Mm -hmm. And equally, I didn't want to put anybody who was out there with me in jeopardy, because ultimately, if anything happens, you do have to call Mountain Rescue. And they are volunteers. I don't want to waste their time. So. Yeah, things do go wrong. Like we were doing our mountaineer training at the end of January in 2019, and we had our expedition weekend where we slept over. And the night, that, the day that we were hiking out, two people died in the Moor Mountains because they got because of the gale force winds. And that's why it's serious. Um, so I, I, do, I, I see. do see why people will be enthusiastic about doing winter rounds and think, ah, sure it'll be grand. but there's an awful lot of personal responsibility around it.
4: Yeah, 100%. It's a skill of planning that you got from the team leader, isn't it, really? So when I go for a run on my own, you know, I have a full checklist that I go through. And I never take that chance. You know, I might be coming through the mountains and I've got my running kit in the boot of the car. But if I don't have my get out and my safety and I don't have my survival bag... Like i'm not going up even for a 30 minute jog i'll never take that chance like and it's unfair on other people it's it's no different than the sea going out without life jackets and Aaron and i have to come out it's the same with the mountains there's two two things you must respect the mountains and the sea and the onus is on you it's unfair to risk other people's lives because that's potentially what you could be doing as well um there is a big danger with the furlough there's so many people in the mountains at the minute um and they're not, I don't know if mountain aware is the right way to put it, but you know, you're coming and you can really feel the cold there today. It's coming near the end of October, and, and the mountains change. You know, the weather and the environment changes at this time of year. Um, so easy to go over on your ankle, it's like an ankle graveyard up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but making sure that you have the right equipment, and as you said there, a good plan that covers each scenario. It gives you confidence then as well. You're hoping that you never lean, have to lean on that, but it just gives you that element yeah. of confidence, which is a key thing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I've got my own little company, uh, Happy Head Adventures. And so I do run everything from, you know, I I run navigation courses for the Dennis Rankin and round and I give reckeys for the Dennis Rankin round. But equally, I have this course called Parents at Peaks, which is literally to be very serious with people who have children about what is safe for you to do and what do you need to do to be safe in the mountains with your children and the, I start with like please do not bring them up Donard after this course do not drag them up the amount of kids I've seen dragged up Donard mm. in flip-flops is scary my most abiding memory is racing up Crowpatrick Patrick and seeing an eight year old girl clinging to that scree cone at the top screaming and I just thought this she will never go back in the mountains. Yeah. That poor girl. And I'll- so I think I think there's there's an awful lot of education that's needed. I think one of the things about mountain runners is often we get away with a lot of shit. I must admit, uh, a lot of us come from a road background and we go into a race and we fortunately there's enough, somebody to fall us in front. But we haven't come from a mountain background. So we, do, we, 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 get, we, we fudge it. We get around and it's grand and we all get home and we get to the pub and it's, it's good. But you then can start seeing the caliber of people who've come from a mountain background. Mm. So, for example, Ian Keith, he started as a hill walker. yeah, And you can see when people have been the mountains first and then go to running, that they have a different way of approaching it and that they are... And they have the skills already they're in tune they're in tune runners, with
4: the environment aren't they they're in tune with the mountains
1: they've see a lot of times especially around navigation is that mountain are running and then they run the wrong direction and then they think oh god how do i run in the right direction and on my navigation when i bring people out to navigate, I'm like you've got to walk first if you're gonna want to learn to navigate you have to walk first because if you can't navigate when walking there's no way you can navigate while running so sometimes we need to slow down before we start going fast again, um, and maybe like I think I think it's great to be able to use GPS. I think it has its absolute value. I think it has opened up the mountains, and that is brilliant. But I have a lot of people coming to me saying, "Yes, it's grand, I'll use a GPS, but if it falls, it runs out of battery. I actually want to know what the how to get out of get home safely." And I think it's important to know both. I really do. I think. It's good that the Wicklow Round has preserved itself as a mountain challenge, that it's map and compass and that's it. And if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. If you want to do a long distance run and want to use a GPS, the Dennis Rankin is a brilliant option, just like you could do the Bob Graham or the Charlie Ramsey or the Paddy Blocky that way.
4: Yeah, I think a a key thing there is when I I obviously have I have Gavin Burns' GPX file. <laughs> he done it in fourteen hours. <laughs> I I'm not
1: sure about that one. <laughs> I'm just I, I
4: couldn't find Stevens, like, um, because he wasn't on Strava. But uh, what I what I've got on my watch is loads of when I've been wrecking the Dennis Rankin rounds. I have got loads of get out plans. So as, as you've yeah. said, there in the dark and the fog, you don't know where you're going. We were coming off Doan, but I was co- we were coming off the back of that, and it's such an easy, you know to come off the back of that back onto the path and bottom of Loch Shana, uh sleeve lock Shana. And we went totally to the right. Yeah. And I mean we've done that a hundred times and then you're like, whoa, it just goes to show. This was on a good clear night. Um, yeah. so if you do have sh- if you do have the GPX of um Dennis Rankin Round, and you are going to use that, you should have a number of other courses on your your watch that yes. takes you off course as well. You know, if you get stuck on Lamigan you should have a method of getting you back if you need to, if you get stuck at sleeping the Glock, there should be ways of taking you out as well, not just that one map on your watch.
1: So I think it depends because I see a lot of people, they have like on Phoenix, they would have the GPX trail. And what it is, it's just blank and it's a line and you follow the line, you follow the breadcrumb And I use that a little bit. I had it loaded onto a Garmin handheld and I just wasn't comfortable. I was like, I don't know if this is correct or whatever. So I then got an eTrex 30x, which is a handheld yeah. again, and I downloaded onto it Talkie Toaster maps. They're free, and uh, because and they're actually really accurate. So the alternative is that you you buy for a couple of hundred the Ordnance Survey maps and download it, but I didn't want to pay that money. Um, but Talkie Toaster is excellent. So it meant that I had I put and then I put the GPX line into the into the handheld as well. So I had the line where I should go, plus I had the maps on the base. So if I needed to get out, I could then read the maps on the handheld to get me out of there as well because that would show a dot of where I was. So I'm just nervous about when you're using a pure breadcrumb, a GPX, that if anything goes wrong, you don't have backup. You don't. Have, if you need to get out, you have to keep following that line and you don't know where you are wow. in relation to the rest of the mountain. You don't know if there's a big down cliff to your right because your ha- your gps doesn't tell you that so there's just that necessity for both sets of skills as particularly in the winter rounds because of the amount of darkness and because you're not going to be able to see the route in front of you like you would in a summer round where you just run sure gavin and Stephen and the guys yeah, they have they have full dark full light all day yeah um And then the other thing just to say about darkness as well, which is a little bit more um, nerdy, would be your start time. So, you know, what you saw, I think with uh, Shane Lynch, he started, he did a start time exactly as um, a summer. So started at 2.30 and just went through stage one um, in the dark and then got light and then just got the wall uh, on stage five in the dark again. Now, myself and Paul, We thought about it and we decided to start at 9.30 p.m. And that's kind of coming from our adventure racing background. The idea that if you go into, often when you're tired and you're going to go into a second night, it can actually be like, oh my God, not another night. So we wanted to get our big night over and done with. So we started at 9.30. So it meant that we would get in in the evening um, so that you wouldn't be facing into another um, night of running. And I, I thought it was quite neat. We got in time, we got sat in a pub afterwards, it was open, (laughs) pre-COVID, la la la. So you also need to think about whether, what do you need to digest for a winter round instead of a summer. It's not just to do the same thing. You need to really think about where you want to be at dark. And for us, we just wanted to make sure in Cranville, we did not want to be in dark in Cranville because that's spooky-ass place with and where you're just trying to find grass tracks and you yeah. don't want to be there at night. So you really have to think about where do I not want to be at night.
4: So what about your kit then from your feet to your head? Walk us through that.
1: So I had real problems in the summer round. Again, this is where it's actually quite useful to do a summer round first before you do a winter. Now I know Niall and Shane have just disproved me on that one, but personally I think that's the way to go. So all my summer, I had real problems when, with losing a lot of um, uh, skin. So I think I think my shoes were too narrow. So I went for the Ultra MT King. So the very, wide, I have a wide foot, so I decided to go for a much wider shoe. So sacrificing grip on that because you're not going fast enough to need lots of grip. Then inside that, I put SealSkin socks. I love SealSkin socks because they're just. Um, oh, sorry. Um, okay. I love sealskin socks because you're they keep you relatively dry and your feet again what we were talking about, our our hands getting cold, you do not want feet cold feet. Yeah. So that actually really worked. It kept my feet warm. I only lost one toenail, which is pretty good for me. And um they fitted quite good. And so I had to like I'm not I'm a size seven shoe, but the Ultra Kings, I need to get a size eight and a half. So I could fit the the thick sealskin sock inside. Uh, then I wore tights, running tights. I also then wore waterproof Pertex Mountain. What what um,
4: were the what were the running tights? Because I've had issues with those in the past too. So I, I know I use Innovate <laughs> now. But the, I wore a I wore a pair of Nike ones one time on a seventy-five mile race. Went through the night and it nearly took me out of the race with chafing. <laughs> I now have <laughs> I now have in the Innovate Elite ones, which I think are great. Like but.
1: I think this is what happens whenever you've been running since 2006. You get a kit that you like and you keep it. So I have these old, like they're over a decade years old. Every time that piece of, uh, like it gets a hole, I, I sew it up. <laughs> okay. So they're pearl-azumi they fleece ones. You cannot get them anymore. They are my pair. They are only used <laughs> on rounds. <laughs> they will go in and, and into a museum. So that's where some of my kit is so old, you won't get it because it's so reliable but some of the kit is a bit newer. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the ultras, you, you know, they're the latest kind of but edition. the leggings then,
4: you want something breathable and warm. That's really it, isn't it?
1: Fleecy, yeah. I can see there's more kind of winter ones coming where they're a bit more... You can there's get some sort of windproofing at on, on the front. I've seen those coming out. And, yeah, they're probably what you're looking for. I decided... I wanted to run and have some sort of um, windproofing, so I put montane Pertex trousers on top of that. And um, Pertex is just very... Just really easy to rip. So, I have a massive rip in them from trying to get over that blooming barbed wire fence at the back of the toilets around Spelga. Like, I can tell you where the rip is on my ass. (laughs) And that's just, and I now look at it and say, that's when I was doing Dennis Rankin around the winter. Um, But they were good enough to just get that, stop that wind chill. So, when that wind picks up, which it does in the winter, you've just got that, just something just to stop it. Momentary. that's a
4: huge thing like so I have a very very light pair of OMM um, leggings and top <laughs> and when I crewed for the guys doing the Dennis Rankin last July this was July now so I mm. helped one of the guys back on the last stage and I was waiting not helping them that much because I wasn't waiting for him but <laughs> I was waiting between the saddle of um, Neil Moore and Burner and it was freezing it was one o'clock in the morning even though it was July really cold wind and i put the light yeah. leggings on and just heat it up straight away because it yeah. cut the wind out so real sir so real yeah benefit and actually
1: it was, it was interesting i i chucked it i chatted to paul callahan who did a winter round as well and god he did this he's the only person to have done a sub 20 sub 48 hour wicklow round and i said any tips and he said you know he found that he was going up the mountains and he was getting really cold and then he was going down to the valleys and he's getting really warm and he said just have on ter- in terms of tops lots of zips so lots of once once it will zip all the way down when you get into the valley and all the way up when you get to the top and actually that it's so so, so, so small but um, it really does make a difference those little small things where and i think that's what's amazing about the mountain community like i said i could just reach out to yeah. carol morgan or whatever did you people are happy to, to to share their top tips and they know that they're such so small but they'll make a difference to you. Um, so yeah, Paul was very helpful just kind of talking I'd love to know that.
4: what gloves he was wearing because they were like big lobster red. <laughs> they stick out in my mind. It's like, what, it where probably, did they get them? It's
1: probably his uh, oven gloves or something. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, so your top half then?
1: Yeah, I quite like craft-based layers. I always have. I think it just comes from the orienteering background I have. Um, and then I had a... Again, this is old school low pile pine. They don't make any more of a fleece top and that. And then this is a bit weird. So just go with me on this one. I then put my Montaigne waterproof jacket over that. Okay. So it's uh, it used to be the spine of it edition. It's, got the, it's the latest one up from that. What I like about Montaigne waterproofs is that if they fit, they've got a lifetime guarantee. So I bought mine 10 years ago. The zip failed. I told them they sent me a new one for free. So There's my plug for Montaigne. Um, So, but then I thought, well, you know, so on the top of that, on top of my waterproof, I actually put a rab down jacket. And the reason why I got a rab down jacket is because hanging out with the Mountain Leader Award, you hang out with a lot of uh, rock climbers and a lot of um, hill walkers, and they live in their down jackets. And it's great. If you have to stop at all, it keeps you snug and warm. So I had this theory that you know if it gets it's during the night I'll put the down jacket on then I can easily take it off for the rest of the day. But I was so snug I never took it off. <laughs> so like Paul was saying, your waterproof is under your down jacket. Should you like waterproof be on top of your down jacket? I was like no, it works. Don't touch it. <laughs> Don't touch it. It's it's fine. And yeah, so the waterproof was was absolutely. It's the the Montane. I think it's called the Micro Alpine. It's got Pertex on the outside, so it's some got some sort of water resistance is not brilliant um but it kept me really warm and i was happy enough with that um buff hat off you go
4: what about head torch then because that's going to be a key thing oh. isn't it
1: petzl i upgraded to a petzl now plus so yeah. um yeah i had a petzl mayo and it was fine but i was getting really worried about the cold conditions like you just don't know how cold it's going to be on top um so but that has that lithium battery, it's rechargeable. I was able to buy buy a spare battery, which I never needed actually. It was, I'm amazed at the battery life. Um, And it is, um, it was this thing that if you were looking at at the hand held in front of you, it would auto adjust so it didn't Mm -hmm. glare. And then you'd look up into the mountain ahead of you, 20 meters, 25, uh, 50 meters, and it would self adjust. And um, so, it's just being able to do, try and get things, do things yeah, automatically. I, I love,
4: uh, the one thing I love about it, and it's the same head torch I have as well. I had the previous model, as you mentioned, in it now. Um, I think it was 450 lux versus 750 lux, but it's, you're on the first um, setting of it. And what I love is that battery pack that you can just change over. I'm um, just having that as a backup. Um, even when I go up, you know, just for an hour run, I'll take the two of them just in case one one goes or anything like yeah, so yeah
1: you should the, if you're left without light you're you're scuppered like but the only thing was i just remember we came down to hair's gap so it was it, it was getting just quite dark and um so we stopped momentarily i just got, grabbed up my pencil now and i looked at it and you know the way it's it's not it's like cords like elasticated cords yeah. and i looked at it and this just shows how tired you can get and how your brain can go kind of fuddy i looked at it i was like it looks like a tangled up g-string <laughs> i was like how, how do i untangle this thing
4: <laughs> you shouldn't have said that now because every time i take it out i'm like damn <laughs> <laughs> it is funny no, though we
1: were, were like looking at it and i was like it's okay i'll work it out i'll work it out
4: <laughs> where did you put it on did you put it on your head
1: <laughs> well, <we're, laughs> i had to ask visions no, no. <laughs> it's, it's funny, though, that yes. you're saying your head's
4: a bit phasing. Because last year I did CCC, and it was just my head torch started flashing because I was out too long. Yeah. Um. So I stopped and changed the battery over. And it took me about seven minutes to go into the back mm. and find the battery pack, get up, and start going again. And I realized it was daylight. <laughs> I was like, did I just sit there and change my battery, like, in the daylight? I just hadn't. It hadn't you, you switched.
1: You under... You cannot underestimate your stupidity <laughs> in ultra running.
4: My <laughs> mind hadn't switched over that it'd become light again, like, so it was strange. <laughs> so that, that's the that's the full kit then. We've talked about the crew. So in a winter, a winter round, and we're talking about safety, really. Um, it's very important that the camaraderie aspect and keeping your spirits high in that community is really, really good. Um, but there is that safety aspect, isn't it? It's very important to have crew. And if you can at all possible, we would advise you to have crew on the winter round.
1: Well, also, I, and like I had guys switching over. Now, it was just a bit more logistically difficult to get guys switching over on the night section. Until we did one and two. It was easy just to keep the same guys. um, But it was good to get to get good changes of guard. And actually, to be honest, like it was just nice to have an, another person at the stage just to have a different conversation. So that was nice. And just having like that, but that company, because it's just kind of kind of long out there when you're out there yeah, for yeah. kind of 20 odd hours. But what I did notice was that on stage five, I remember two of the guys dropped back and I got really concerned. I had this mountain leader in me going, oh no, where are they? And the person I was with, like, I would remember the names, but I'm actually, um, I, was, I was a bit funny by then. I can't, it was just somebody beside me. He said, I wouldn't worry about them. They're fine, they know what they're doing. So we're not just talking about somebody coming out for a run, you have to be happy that if anything goes wrong with them, they can bail themselves out as well. Yeah, so I c- we're not talking, and that's why I went to the orienteering community because I know those guys are competent.
4: Do you know what? That's a very good point because what happened when I was crewing, um, one of the guys at the back, the rest of the, the, the other ones went on and I thought he was out at Spelga and then he goes, right, Robbie, get your gear together. You have to come with me. I was like, what? <laughs> I was on the crew and I thought that was me done. Um, he said, well, I don't know the way. I says, right, come on then. And I was happy to do it though. Um, I was happy to do it. What happened was one of his friends turned up. And he come, al- he come over, Loch Shanna when we were going along the wall. And It was coming into dark, and he had no head torch and he had no equipment. Mm. And all of a sudden, so I had to give him my spare head torch, which made which made me nervous, um, because yeah. Yeah. now we've only got one head torch. He's going as slow as a snail. Um, now I have to worry about two of them, and I had a big enough job as it was being worrying about one who had proper kit. But now we were down to like, if my head torch went out, I was, I was out. I didn't know what I would have mm-hmm. done. It was up on the mountain and it was making me really, really nervous. So I had to, when I told you I was waiting at the saddle, what I was doing was going ahead, waiting, turn my head torch off and waiting for them to get to me, just to make sure that I got the two of them back. So it is a key point if you're going out to crew or if you're gonna go and meet people to run parts of the stages, that you're also well equipped with all of the gear because that person needs morale support from you they don't want to be burdened with having they, to worry they can't you.
1: support you they yeah. can't you can't support your supporters so for example and um, because my around, it was very much i was i wanted people who weren't had maybe had a, uh, a brush of mental health um uh, mental illness or wanted to support me and what i was trying to do I was welcoming people, but there was one place at Spelga and it was lovely, it was really nice. So Sharon Dixon and Judith Robinson wanted to run and they said, listen, don't worry about us. We're gonna look after ourselves. They only wanted to do two peaks. They came with us and the weather was picking up and they said, okay, we're done and we're going home. And I knew they would be safe and sound. And that was lovely. And I was really glad to have them out there. But I, but the key thing was I knew they had enough skills, enough know of the, know, knowledge of the mountains yeah. that they could get home safely um but you don't want to be looking after your crew out there and there will be the people who will be oh yeah yeah no i'll help i'll help but if anything goes wrong you've got to you do have to scupper around and yeah that's that's no fun no.
4: what about food and fuel then because i spoiled my the team that was going around at spelger i got them a vegetable curry out of the chinese they were <laughs> vegans i even i didn't even use the rice i actually went and got a tilde rice and cooked it so I thought the Chinese rice would be too heavy for them, and, and I brought it up. And
1: you know, you're going to start getting people asking you <laughs> yeah. to support them. That. You shouldn't say these things because, like, oh yeah,
4: a vegetable curry. I'm going to put
1: in my own order. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and um,
4: I brought, I brought them plates, but did they go near the plates? Not at all. Like they just dived into the saucepan, like where this was being heated up at the top yeah. of Spelga. But it is nice to get something warm in your belly, like isn't it when you're doing a round? How did you feel yeah. going round?
1: I think it, because I my long distance running has come from an adventure racing background where you can be going for a couple of days and you just suck it up. I've had ham and cheese sandwiches, which I've literally seen being made on a tarmac ground and eaten them. So I'm not so... I know other people really appreciate some warm food. I don't mind. I was really into the tea. <laughs> Somebody bring me a cup of tea. So God love Susan Lamb. <laughs> and Cara Lavery who at three o'clock in the morning brought into Silent Valley a big thermos of tea and all I remember is Cara going I didn't make that tea Susan made that tea if you think the tea's crap it's (laughs) Susan's fault I was like I don't care it's warm it's lovely so for me having tea at this the changeovers was really really helpful um if you talk to Paul I think I think the thing the thing about nutrition it's very very individual if you talk to Paul he is very much everything has to be uh good, it has to be. He's like offered me these one foot wheat and bread sandwiches with chicken tikka inside. And i have been like, thanks, <laughs> but no thanks. <laughs> and he, he loves, it. He, he work, that works for him. That would make me vomit. Um, I quite like just, um, I, I quite like egg sandwiches. I But I try and keep stuff, I try and keep it quite savory and stay, to stay away from the gels and to stay away from the sweet stuff because it just gets a bit sickening, but at the end that's probably the only thing you can stomach. But that is like years of just trying out lots of stuff. I really like going every time at the support is to actually get my bottle filled up with a smoothie. So that means get lots of water, you get your liquid in and you get lots of uh, fruit in and that just goes down really easily. Um, But yeah, I'm just like, I I remember having lots of cake, carrot cake, banana cake. (laughs) chocolate cake cake and tea um, cake and tea yeah it's just yeah it That's doesn't sound recipe. very <laughs> very um uh, healthy but it's a good excuse uh to do it so yeah it's so individual um but i just see more and more people trying to keep away from the bars and the gels, and to be into the mm. like i do still remember the, the homemade biscuits kathleen shoved into my hands going from going toward eagle mountain and they were just so yummy and you just need yummy food you need things that you're going to get wow yum yum that's chocolate yum yeah. <laughs> why is it? because it's so long time out there you know
4: what well, one benefit i suppose of the winter round over the summer round and you said it was so warm last time is you don't need as much water is what i find anyway i have to be careful saying I that. Think, again, i
1: think again that's i think that's very personal i drink yeah. an awful lot of water and if i drink water it's, it settles my stomach and i think again this just has to be you have to work it out for yourself yeah yeah, um, cause
4: I know I've been doing like doing the wall a few times this year, um, and I drink a lot of water as well. I'm six foot one, I think, I lose a lot of water, um, and my body overheating, and I, I always have water around the meals sort of placed, um, just in case I can't make it to Committed it, it in, t- in time, like. But pipe. the water water is a big thing though, isn't it? Like you know, if you're starting to dehydrate, then you your energy zaps very very quickly, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, oh no, absolutely. And I think you, like whenever I bring people out in recce, I, I basically go, look, there's a stream. Remember, this is the last stream before you got Binion, and there's nothing up Binion. So if you're going to take tick now, and I will literally tell people where, like, that level of detail, this is your last stream until for another hour and a half or two hours. Because if they do end up doing their round on a warm day, they need to know that information and to know that they can drink from the streams in the morns, which mightn't be the case yeah. in some other mountain ranges.
4: You do get to know where the streams are that you can drink drink out of though, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, God, the, the amazing thing is those pipes. I didn't realize about the pipe up common. And actually, I was shown there's a spring at the call between meal moor and oh. meal bag It's just a little bit further off the call. I was like, wow, I never yeah. knew that there's was there. A li-
4: there's a little one on Burner as well. Um, is there? Yeah, very, very small one. So you learn something Burner. every day. <laughs> Very good. Uh, there's actually a little book in Burner. Have you heard about the book? I didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, if you go up there, there's a little book in a box. You can open the box yeah. and write your name in it. Maybe you shouldn't do it during this period in time see, with the COVID. Uh, see, I'd,
1: I'd, write, I'd write, I'm never coming up here again. Because <laughs> I do remember going up Burner my winter round. And just, I, you know, this is again where your mind goes a bit crazy. And I just, I got to the stage where I didn't realise I was actually saying things. I thought I was just thinking them. And I was like, <laughs> I just remember going oh god this is never going to end <laughs> and then the person beside me said you're nearly there and I'm like oh no I just said that out loud
4: <laughs> brilliant so what was it like then going down you went down the front of Commodore
1: yeah so we went up because we had the GPS because it's a beautiful
4: around. evening like because um, I posted the photograph on my page from your report oh that and- was the wrecky. oh was that recce <laughs> that was,
1: the, d- that was the day of the wrecking. I'll edit. I'll edit oh, that yeah. that's fine oh no <laughs> Oh, the day of the actual of the—it was just—it was we were on bearings from the style and kind of crouching right, over okay. towards the cairn and then bearing back onto the the cliff. But what was great was because as we were going down, uh, Mark Stevens, one of Northern Ireland's top orienteers, pops his little head up and says, "How you doing?" <laughs> and and so he just basically went, "Follow me," and just guided us all the way down to the style. We went down that very fast. And we found the, we were in the pitch dark, in the mist, and he found that whole little track down, I was sped down. And then we had uh, Richard Gamble coming up. So when people were coming up, it was very obvious oh, yeah. how to get back down again. So it was like, actually, we had a lovely descent going down. And then Sharon was there with her in the car park with her um, cowbell and, all, and then running past all the, the boy racers as they tooted their horns, wondering what the hell we were doing. <laughs> Brilliant. that's like, the highlight of the, d- the rounds of so how, how
4: did that feel then touching the arch how did that feel?
1: um i was very i was i was quite emotional of course because you know i had such a lovely day i just i had been running with all these lovely people and i had my best friend you know paul was there and and it was important for paul to come on that round as well because he had visited us about three days before Pete died, and he had had that feeling that he hadn't done enough. Um, and I think we always feel that when somebody's taken their own life, mm. that you know maybe haven't done enough. And so in a way, it was a good way for us just to spend time together and to realise it is what it is. And we're still here and we're still alive. And I still got my boys, you know, they were three and five when Pete died and they're great wee kids and we'll, we'll stay and do stuff for them and for each other. And I think, you know, the power of that round together, like I so, I'm so i so grateful for all those names I've just mm. mentioned to you and reeled off that people came out and I got to spend lots of hours in the mountains with them. And, you know, I'll never forget that day ever. It's one of the best mountain ones I've ever had. So yeah, I fell asleep about half an hour later, of course. <laughs> But yeah, I it's 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 the hard stuff that is memorable and yeah. we need to do hard stuff. And the mountains allow us to do hard stuff.
4: Beautiful, Moira. I'm gonna finish at mm. that. Thanks very <laughs> much. So obviously we're doing the podcast on the winter round. Um Yeah. Why on earth do you want to do it in the winter? <laughs>
2: uh I would say blame Aaron Shimmons for that. Um Whenever I did the summer round, um, looking through the members that had, you know, done it previously and reading their blogs, and, and, and noticed that Arne had done it anti-clockwise. So it was it was more wanting to do it anti-clockwise than than did in the winter. And it was just my uh, fitness and performance at that stage of the year was was going pretty well. So that's that's why it ended up being in the winter. And plus, looking through the list, I had spied that uh, nobody else had done it in the winter. So. I thought, I had a look at the Bob Green rounds and, and noticed that they had a prerequisite for, you know, what, what constituted a winter round. So I uh, took it from there, but I, I could be first to soften. I'll not be first in a race, but maybe I could be first to do the <laughs> round. <laughs> a so bit that, of a, that's bit, where it came from.
4: A bit of a pioneer then. Because you were, it's important to note how much, how good a form you were in as well. Because you, you'd done the Seven sevens, No, sorry, yeah. the Seven Sisters and the seven sevens and the Garmin skyline. Yeah. But you were like in the yeah. form of your life coming into this, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I had a good had a good race year last year, yeah. Um seven sevens, yeah, and the skyline were both sub five hours, just about. But um I was going well, yeah. And, uh, I had a good year and um that was after doing the ranking around in the summer for the first time. Um so yeah, yeah it just it just was was uh, clicking all right last year. But
4: we had Moira on earlier on, and um like she had mentioned, the advantage of doing a summer round first before a winter round. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely, definitely a bit of experience. And um, first of all, I actually feel a bit underqualified uh, speaking on the same podcast as Moira and Aaron and all those guys and Shane. Um, but yeah, no, definitely experience. You know, I think you you should have done it in the summertime or, or you know a round in the summertime to know what to expect. Um, know know how to prepare and have have the team uh, your support team all plugged up and ready to go.
4: But like the anti clockwise, like, I was just thinking about that in my head. You know, you got s- mm-hmm. sleeve mucknamore off wee sleeve more Like that's a tight downhill, so I can only imagine what that is going back up.
2: Yeah, and then, it, it, it was it was a, a leg puller that one. <laughs> and then um, sleeve yeah, muck there at was that a few, stage. Few hugs. Yeah, well, at least I had a cup of coffee before it. <laughs> yeah, before Meadow. But then, yeah, Benyon near the be end. Honest, it, it, it all flowed all right. It was the final leg that the wheels came off. You know, even when, when I set out to do the round, the other thing that drew me to it was that there was only one other person that had done, Aaron, obviously. Um, so there was only one time to beat. And I was sort of thinking, could I, couldn't I, the whole way um, until that final leg. And then, yeah, the wheels just came off Uh leaving silent valley to go up uh wee binion and big binion that was just that was just a killer yeah. and that, that is was, a key thing though
4: isn't it like because you start off under the arch anti-clockwise yeah. is a lot more challenging me and aaron sort of touched bit on it earlier on like um because yeah. it's so difficult that i'm going to call it the last leg for you yeah um which is normally the first stage for most people like and it, it really is tough but if you can yeah. go out if you go out too fast even though you're pacing steadily you know, you need to save something in the bank for that last stage. Oh, right?
2: my, my biggest problem was, and I should have known from the summer round, was was not eating. Um, I left my house at whatever time it was, two o'clock. I had a bowl of porridge. I don't eat porridge. Schoolboy hour, I should have ate what I normally eat. Um, And I just felt sick for the first few hours. I was just sitting in my stomach the whole time. Um, I think I'd got to uh, Spelga and I'd eaten a banana. You know, so from between three and seven to four hours, I'd eaten one banana. Um, So I think that's what really caught up on me at at the end. You know, I just wasn't eating and drinking what I should have been. Uh, In the summertime, summertime I slept in. Um, You can ask my friend Gavin Hines about that one. Um, I slept in and didn't have any breakfast. And I was starving the whole time. But that was great because it it meant I was eating. I was eating nearly every half hour, hour because I was starving hungry. Yeah, um, but I think I think that's where I went wrong when I went around. I just couldn't eat, couldn't bring myself to eat. You know, um I think I was wearing two pairs of gloves and the, the pain or annoyance of just taking them off the peel of, you know, you know, a biscuit open was just too much. I just wanted to keep Keep going, you know.
4: <laughs> I've noticed that quite a lot, though. I do. I eat porridge every single day, but see if I take it too close before going into the mountains. It takes mm-hmm. it takes a few peaks and summits before it starts to calm calm down. Yeah. But when you're out for that length of time, you know, food and pace yeah. have, have to be um, two major keys. Um,
2: like yeah, absolutely. And in the wintertime, yourself warm. You know, I think I forgot how much. Didn't really calculate it in. How much you know further energy you would need just to keep yourself warm you know because there was actually a storm Um a storm came in that evening that i was doing the winter rounds
4: yeah so tell me about that then so what type of kit did you have then to try and protect uh, yourself from that start start start, well, start from your feet and work your way up
2: yeah well i had mud claws on uh which had to go in the bend at the end they were a fairly new pair but they just got completely trashed um there were i think there were two seven five mud claws when I was wrecking it before, you know, before the round, my biggest worry was my feet because the they were great grippy shoes, but they felt very um, permeable to water. You, you walked into a puddle and your feet were instantly cold. Yeah. And the armoured claws I had seemed to, you know, withstand it a bit, and you know, you maybe felt it a bit, you know, a bit more time later. So I was worried about my feet. I get cold hands and cold feet. Um so I was reading a uh, blog somewhere, and somebody recommended uh, sealing socks. So I invested in a pair of them, rooster sealing socks, and they worked a treat. I, I never felt the cold. In fact, wow. for the whole round, I didn't I didn't change my socks or shoes for the whole round. Um, wow. So they, they worked really well. And then upper bo- uh, leggings, I, had, I think I wore a pair of skins, skin bottoms, skin tops, and a pair of running tights over it. Um, and Maybe another running top over the, the skin, and I uh, can't remember, possibly a coat going out in the first leg I, I changed that many times i changed two or three times so again that, that was a big worry you know stopping and getting cold i know what it's like uh trying to get going again after being cold but yeah. seemed, seemed to manage all right but
4: it but it is like you know you get to the top there and you stop for three or four minutes like even to try as you say there you're peeling off your gloves like and you're trying to get even a banana yeah. or a packet of biscuits yeah. open um, yeah. Your body temperature at that time you just drops straight away, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, but that was more like you know that, especially with my fingers, I have a bit of a problem with them. Um, that <laughs> they wouldn't come back to life because they do go like white, It's Raynaud's syndrome or something that's called. Um, but they they do, they do suffer from that. Um, I had bought waterproof gloves, sealskin gloves. Again, they had to be thrown out at the end of the round. They were completely trashed from falling over on the way down the Glen River Path. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's bits and pieces yeah. of
4: you left all over the mountains.
2: Yeah. Are you so, Are, are um, you
4: using poles? Because poles can make your hands very cold as well, can't they?
2: No, I don't. I don't use poles. I haven't uh, got onto them yet. Okay. Um, one thing I really one, one thing
4: I've found this time of year, I do enjoy them for the uphills. Like, um, they increase the the chance of your hands getting colder, obviously, because they're out right there all the time in front of you, and you're not really getting protected. Um, what about the wind chill then? Like were you, what type of coats were you wearing to, it's a key uh, thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, well the first leg I nearly got blown off Commodore and Middlemore. <laughs> Straight um, away. Yeah, yeah, like uh, when I'm standing at the arch in Newcastle, you know, there's people leaving the bars and you know, staff leaving O'Hare's and they were just looking at me thinking, What is that guy doing there? I was standing, you know, waiting for the clock to take like three o'clock. Uh, because the wind at that point was, was blowing about the place, you know if you know so um i think i was wearing um helly hansen base layer and i think it's probably the, the uh, possibly the an icebreaker top merino top um and then waterproof coat i, I think it was a higher state waterproof coat. um yeah. there's the,
4: I I ice, keep... the icebreaker merino tops are brilliant like aren't
2: they yeah oh that's class yeah but um well you know i just need just to keep moving so yeah going up um i mean that, that was my biggest worry starting out uh, is to get up camera you know not to go off the beaten track um, and knew once i hit the tar and hit the wall you know that'd be hand railing it for the first you know for the next few picks
4: it's pretty exposed um, going up there as well
2: yeah yeah so the wind was, was trying to blow me off because it's going up the front of commada up, up the ridge <laughs> and the wind was, was blowing out. i got right down you know i was hunkered right down you know bent over um but, you know, the navigation was, was, was 100%, it, was, it sailed straight up to the, to the cairn, and, and again, on top of the plateau of Commodore, I was crouched way down. It was just trying to blow me away. So, um, I actually thought that, that, that was one of the worst bits. And I, I got to the wall and thought, right, we'll see what it's like on the other side of the wall, hopefully it'll be all right. And it wasn't. I thought, right, I'll see what like it's like in Hers if Gap. It's, if it's as bad as this, I'm going to bail out. I got to Hers Gap and it was just completely quiet and I thought, oh, right, keep going. But that was probably because me, the the mails in Burnham were blocking the wind out from yeah. where the, you know the direction it was coming from. Um, it
4: can be pretty unusual out. sometimes, like, can't it? You can be up there. I know we had done the Araki the seven sevens earlier on in the year. It's about sixty mile an hour gusts, but then you would just get calmness, like spots of pure calm yeah. where there's no wind. It was just, yeah,
2: that was Harris Gap. It was just pure calm. It was like, oh, somebody just switch the you know turn the switch off. But then going up Milmore, um, I got over the wall at Milmore, um Went to touch the cairn, I was trying to touch them and I got blown off my feet completely, got blown over. Jeez. So, because I was going to follow from the cairn down, you know, through the gap in the wall that yeah. you know, the Helen Dale writ, um, you know, a bit of a shortcut. And I thought, right, okay, I'm going to stick to the wall now. <laughs> but that, that was, you know, I did actually get blown over. Lucky enough, you know, got my hands out and you know, saved myself, but. Uh, were you were you feeling that, were you feeling confident
4: were you feeling confident in yourself because you need to have that level of confidence don't you when you're up there?
2: Yeah yeah I knew just you know it it wasn't a sprint it was just a you know keep going nice and steady you know. But even with um, that weather
4: like you know it can you just have to go yeah, slower well, don't you just take it yeah. in your stride.
2: Yeah and thankfully after Millmore it sort of calmed down it was it was it was fine. Um, I remember heading over when I was leaving the wall to go over to Ott, I was shooting star above my head. <laughs> that was pretty good.
4: Cool. <laughs> uh, why did you start at three o'clock in the morning then? What was your logic behind that?
2: It it was, um, well, I'm think, thinking I was going that way, once I hit the wall, you know, navigation-wise, I wouldn't have much to worry about. And I sort of thought, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to do from Spelga, you know, to Restrever In fact, I didn't want to do that in the dark. So I was happy doing that in the dark, you know, with the wall being your handrail for most of it. Um had to leave it at hot and uh, you know, butter and stalfa. Um but they were fine. Um so that, that was the main thinking and, and similarly, you know, it worked out that the last leg would be in the dark, but up binion, you you're following the wall, that you're then hitting uh, pretty well worn paths that are should be pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, which they weren't <laughs> um, got up binion. But the final leg, I was joined with uh, my club mate, Gavin Hines, um, and he, he saved me. Like, I think, uh, you know, if it wasn't for him, I would have bailed out at Binion. Um, I don't know how I would have bailed out, but that was my thinking. Um, I got to the top of Binion. Pretty, pretty tough.
4: In. It must have been pretty tough going up over Binion, that, though, at that, that stage. That would,
2: yeah, but stupidly, I had packed a two-litre water bladder in at Silent Valley. but thought, you know, right, you know, saved me uh, looking for water in the rivers, Um which is really stupid because I hadn't carried two liters all day. I had you know, my bag was fairly heavy, but two liters was another schoolboy here. You know, I wasn't used to it all day. Why why do it for the last five hours? Um so anyway, we eventually got up Binion and the, you know, just as we were leaving the wall, the Clyde and Clyde came in and uh, it, it was a stumble to find the top of Binion. And then when we we're convinced that we we're on Binion, trying to find the path of it, you know, the the path that I thought yeah. was would have been obvious. And the whole way along the, the, you know, the ridge between the towers of Binion, you know, I wasn't completely convinced we're on the right path. But uh,
4: you start second guessing you know, yourself, don't you?
2: Yeah. Well, thankfully Gavin was there, and you know, it, it, you know, calm head on him, he he was able to navigate that. But um, but it meant when we was going up Lamigan and, and down Lammigan, I just kept my eyes glued to the path. I did not want to <laughs> take my eyes off the path going down Lammigan. What
4: was in your what was in your kit bag then?
2: Uh. Just the usual safety stuff, survival blanket. Um, I usually carry, a, you know, a, a mountain shelter. I don't think I did for that. There. Um it's just spare clothes, sp- spare tops, and hats. Um, and I, that was in the mountain, you know, uh, ten-liter bag. I had a waste OMM waste bag as well, full of full of grub. But again, you know, I think most of the stuff was there at the end. Yeah. <laughs>
4: The OMM uh-huh. bag is a good is a good tip though, isn't it? it? Is, like, yeah. it's easy? Yeah, definitely would, yeah. One thing I always say to people is make your food easily accessible. Yeah. Otherwise, you go yeah. for long periods of time without eating. But if it's there and it's handy, you will yeah. grub on it. Like,
2: yeah, um, I, think I had the map and phone in it as well. I had wee cards done out, you know, with you know bearings, you know, and distance, pace, and all that. There worked out. Um, but frankly, you know, navigation wise was was pretty good till the end.
4: Yeah, but that I think um, that's the key thing what you mentioned there is planning, isn't it? So you're planning going yeah. into this, like you've obviously it's a totally different course going in the opposite direction, isn't it? Like yeah, totally uh, yeah
2: you just you need to do your homework, you know. Uh, after the summer round, you know, it it just I just kept thinking about it and uh, in my head I was thinking about the downhills think oh it's gonna be easier, you know, going down from, you know, Sleeve Main down to the river and up Finley, that's gonna be easier and, and you know, I was thinking about the downhills and not the uphills. <laughs> Yeah, we got there eventually.
4: <laughs> um, but
2: no, definitely doing, doing your homework. Um, I maybe didn't do enough wrecking of that bit between Finleave and Deer's Meadow. Because on the day, I think I'd, I'd been over it twice, and both times across Finleave, the Shanleave, you know, the, the cloud was down, as it usually is, and, you know, I was just following a compass to get there. On the day, the, the cloud eventually lifted, and I didn't recognise Shanleave. I, I was looking all around. I was, I was, I was downhill a wee bit, a wee bit too far to the left, heading for the wall, and I, I didn't recognise that the Eve was actually, you know, quite a, you know, mountain in front of you. You know, I was expecting, you know, completely flat. So yeah. when you look at the map, and you know, um, so definitely familiarise with familiarise yourself with uh, what you're going to be facing and what you what it looks like. I, I really did not recognise Channel channeling.
4: And that's it. Like, um, for me, I've just been wrecking. You know, stages of it. I have. the whole point of this podcast is really to make sure people are
2: prepared if they're
4: thinking about doing the winter round. You know, right. yeah. having yeah. the summer round and understanding how much you're, it's going to take out of your body. And I know it's a different thing. You know, it can be as challenging in the summer. You know, with the heat and the dehydration yeah. and all of that yeah. stuff and losing yeah. salts and things like that. Um, yeah. but you really, you, it's not just the course you have to try it, is it? It's your kit, like did you? Did yeah. You, did you do much wrecking with your kit and trying to work out what worked and what didn't Yeah,
2: work? I mean, I, I didn't have other layers. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty all right. I, I tried, you know, two or three tops on on windy times. I was up. Um, it was nothing special. It was just you know, I was always base layer, you know, more skins, you know, top and bottom, and you know, more layers on top. Um, so yeah, I'm probably. Should have maybe invested in, in better stuff, but it, it, it did the job. Most of them had holes in it by the end, so that had to be chucked out. <laughs> um, but in terms of recovery, you know, when you mentioned there the difference, uh, after the summer round, I was fine. I was like jogging, you know, a few days later, you know, um, I find it all right. And um, the winter round, um, I don't think I could speak about it or, or um, you know, think about it for, for months after it. Um, my body was, was just broken. Like, my, my feet, the tops of my feet felt broken. My metatarsals, both feet, both feet, sorry, felt um, felt as if I'd broken them on, on course. I convinced myself I had shingles. You know, a week later I had like this rash on my back, but it, you know, it turned out it was from my backpack. But it was tingly and uh, was the right shape. I'm I convinced it was shingles, and I was just run down for a long time after it. It took a lot out of me. And, and writing up the blog, I, I did that during lockdown. You know, nearly six months later. I, was when I could bring myself to think about it or talk about it, <laughs> you know, it, it was a case of...
4: It was a bit of a uh, counselling session.
2: Yeah, it was, it was, it was therapeutic.
4: <laughs> and what about, what about fuel then? Cause that's obviously, it sounds like you obviously had enough strength and fitness in you to push through, even though like a banana at that stage, you know, you, you weren't, you weren't topping up what your body needed. It's maybe one know. of the reasons why you broke so much after yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what type of things would you generally feel in the winter?
2: um any sort of protein bars banana um in the summer round i had a lot of at sports i mean again it's not something that I usually drink you know i wouldn't really drink many fizzy drinks um but yeah i, I had it in the winter round as well milk milk worked a treat. um both in the summer and the winter around it it saved my stomach yeah. definitely recommend that um anything you know light i had a couple of um pan of chocolates, croissants, that sort of thing, something that would be easier to eat. But again, i hardly, or maybe i one of them. Um, It's, it's good to get on, that on type round. of
4: fat in, isn't it? Like you get from a croissant or a wheat.
2: Yeah.
4: I also found that um, like small rice pudding, I think that there is something to do with milk that settles your stomach, you know, if you're yeah, taking too yeah. much sugar. Did you take Definitely any Coke? I recommend milk. My favourite
2: I coke. did, yes, because that was my discovery in, in the summer round. Um, again, just from reading other people's reports on, on doing it. Um, I had my first coke at Spelga on the summer round, and it worked a treat. I like, you know, my I think my time from Spelga to the finish was quicker than my, um, any any time I'd done before, like Skyline Ritz running the like that. And I was just coke, and I think I had some watermelon um, at Spelga, and then I had a, a caffeine um, caffeine tablet in my water bladder in the summer round. I, I just flew around, and didn't eat or drink anything else. Um, in the wintertime, um, my first cook was stage four, I think, coming down to, coming off Duan, heading down that track. I had some because the wind was blowing me back up at that stage. Um, <laughs> and then when I got when I got this, yeah, because I was looking at, that was the one bit of that leg that I was looking forward to, running down, you know, past Loch Shanna Lake, um, heading down towards Sleafnig o'clock, and the wind and rain was just driving me back up it. And I had to, like, crawl along it. That was, that was... The first t- time I had to get the coke out, um, and then at Silent Valley, um, my wife met me there, and she had a, a nice gravy chip. Um, yeah, proper mountain feel, um, and I had a little coke there as well. But I mean, uh, I wasn't drinking that well during the round. Maybe I shouldn't have been drinking so much uh, coke. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know,
4: you, c- you have to. I have to watch coke anyway. Um, you can take so much of it, then you have to watch. 'Cause it can yeah. of sort of upset the stomach slightly. What was it like getting the gravy chip then? Getting something warm oh, into your I, stomach?
2: Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. I remember sitting on the bench in uh, silent valley. Um, yeah, I was just that was just bliss. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Um, um and the importance of I also of, go ahead. Sorry. I was also met on top of uh at the side between Sleep Martin, Sleeve Meal or Sleep Mean um by Ian Wright and his son James. And they cooked me a, a toasty on a, a campfire. So, so I had a ham and cheese toasty on top of sleeve maiden there. Um at about half ten in the morning. Um It's it's things so yeah, like that, that though. That
4: it's little things like that though that make it memorable, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um and again, I drank a fair bit of coffee and I, I'm a big coffee drinker, so they had coffee for me at that point. You no, know, I did, I did, I did eat eventually. It just took me a long time to get get to it.
4: <laughs> yeah, and uh, what about your crew then? Cause you've talked about sort of Gavin. You've talked about your wife. Like, how important is that during a winter oh, round? Oh,
2: definitely. Yeah, or for any round, just to have, uh, you know, just support support crew in the right place at the right time. Um, i will not mentioning any names, Trez. Uh, so that that was the summer round, but we'll not we'll not go there. Um yeah no definitely have, having the right people you know prepared to go that extra mile for you to you know like um ian and and, and james were up on top of sleeve me and, and they were like we wouldn't be up here normally you know it was, it was such a windy day um you know and it carried all the gear right up there and had a wee tent for me to change into and um and you know the campfire going you know it, it, definitely um do you find that for the final day,
4: do you find that helps you break it up
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. Like... Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, because, you know, I wasn't wanting anybody to meet me in Spelga because I thought, right, four hours into it, you know, I, sh- I should be able to keep going. Um, It's going to be six or seven in the morning. I don't want anybody to, you know, have to drag them up to Spelga and, you know, s- dark Sunday morning in December. So, you no, know, I-, I thought you know, I could make it to Slave Martin, you know, um, straight, straight through, you know, without stopping. And then yeah, they say they met me again in Dares Meadow. My wife and kids met me in in Sand Valley, and Gavin was there to lead the way for the for the final run, or or crawl. Sorry, <laughs> it's not the final run.
4: And how how did you find that then going up Donneth last?
2: Oh, that was wild. you <laughs> um, <laughs> coming off, so like getting off Binion was such a relief because of the the clag and Clyde that came in. And then the whole way around, you know, Langan Cove, the Brandy Pad, it wasn't too bad. Got down to Rocky, wasn't too bad. And then up Chimney, just as we were heading up Chimney, the the wind and rain was coming sideways at us, and it was it was just a stomp across the top of Chimney to get to get to the wall, and it it, it felt like forever to get to the wall. So thought right, get to the wall, it's got to be some shelter there, you know, um, and it was it was it was wasn't too bad, you know, getting close to the wall and, and, um, you know, being sheltered from it. But that was just, oh God, that was just a drag. Gavin was giving me sweets, you know, cliff block sweets. Um, I don't think I would have got it up there without without those. That that was just deadly. You're making it sound really
4: inviting, by the way.
2: (laughs) That final insult, it was just, Uh, like I said, the wheels were completely off at this stage, you know. It was all picture, no sound. Um, we got to the top, and uh, Gavin was like, "You know, there was snow up against the wall." As we turned the corner, Gavin was like, "Down the black stairs now." <laughs> Something I had hinted at, you know, in the weeks before it. I was like, "No, just get me off this darn mountain, you know, <laughs> just get me down." And I, I, I was crawling sideways, you know, I was walking sideways at the at the top of Donner, you know, I, I could clinging onto the wall, going down like just taking sideways steps. <laughs> I Thought this got to be the easy bit, and it's not. <laughs>
4: It's quite heavy, um, on, it's bound to be quite heavy on the legs then, going down there.
2: And then, you know, got to like below the saddle on the Glen River path and the wind was still trying to blow us down. Blow us down, you know, that's, it was somewhere down near the forest that I fell and ripped the gloves open. But didn't care about that stage. <laughs> what, was um, the ground,
4: what was the ground like then with all of that rain? You know, is some...
2: uh, it was alright, I don't the ground was too bad, you know.
4: Was there much falling? Um, I suppose the mud claws are great. Like this clip.
2: That was December. I don't think. I don't think the rain had been too bad at that point in, in, in the year. No. Um,
4: so you fell coming down through the forest, then at the very end, was that the only time you fell?
2: Yeah. Uh, depends on my voice, listening or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it probably was. Yeah, I, I fell. Like at the start, like I told you, getting blown off more um, had a couple of falls just into like, you know, around Pete hags and into bog holes, but nothing, nothing major. So no, I did all right. To keep upright wouldn't be my forte, you know. Yeah.
1: But
4: it's a key thing. <laughs> yeah. It is a key thing though. The form that you were going into this, like you, you were strong. You know, you're good aerobic, and anaerobic fitness going into this because you were flying in the races that I knew. So, what you've described there to me um for anybody that's listening who's thinking about doing the round is like you know you got a real good batter in there <laughs>
2: a really good batter <laughs> pick, pick, pick your weekend pick pick your night you know uh, in hindsight I-, I knew the storm was coming you know it was, it was predicted um there was maybe a better weekend the following weekend but it, it just you know it wasn't going to work out with other things going on um so yeah definitely pick pick it like Moyer said, it, it, you know, for a winter round, you know, you just have to go with the flow and 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 you know, pick your weekend when when and when it comes up. You know, it it may not necessarily come up when you want it to.
4: So on the on the web page then um, on the members list where it shows like you've got the fastest obviously anti clockwise um, winter round. It shows your report there. One good th- one good tip there I liked was um, picking the full moon date.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, you see, I had, you know, intensely wanting to do it the following weekend when there would be a full moon, um, but something I forgot about that I was um, meant to be doing, so I had to knock that in the head. But even that weekend I was up, you know, there was like a half moon, you know, there, there was, there was some help, but yeah, definitely that's okay. a good, good tip. Yeah. But but at the same time, you could have a full moon and completely overcast, and there's no <laughs> use to you. So, you know.
4: Just just leave your calendar free for the month. That's what it says. Yeah, like.
2: exactly. Yeah, 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 definitely. What um,
4: what is it? Do you think that like <laughs> you're putting yourself through hell there? What is yeah. it you think makes us want to do that? <laughs> it sounds terrible yeah. listening to you. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, it's a good question. I think I think I had in my head that you know nobody had done it before. It would be the first. So it was just a case of going out there and getting the job done, whether it was pretty ugly just get it done um, and that, that was what was in it for me but um i'm sure different people have different reasons for wanting to do it. Mm. Oh, it so out. amazingly
4: you knocked 20 minutes off your time
2: yeah that that's you know that's what i couldn't believe i thought things were going that bad on the final leg you know i thought God, i'm gonna be worse than the summer you know or, or you know way worse than the summer so i was actually amazed you know uh when when i looked at the time so yeah that was that was a nice surprise because um, I had up up until that final leg, my times have been bang on what it, what I was predicting. You know, uh, when I look back now, um, I think it's done pretty well in in those legs. Because after after the actual you know round was finished, you know for days after it, I was beating myself up about how bad I did. You know, and I was just judging it or gauging it on that final leg. Um, you can be your own you can be your own worst enemy. You know, worst critic.
4: You've described what could potentially happen <laughs> if you take on uh, an anti clockwise wind around. Um, if you were to go back again, what three things would you change?
2: Uh, I wouldn't have the porridge at two o'clock in the morning that I'm not used to, definitely. Um, more better gloves. M- my hands w- got really numb or cold going up Donard, chimney around that region. Um they kept going, you know, in and out of numbness.
4: Yeah, if you lose um, your hands you lose a lot of things, like don't yeah, you, you know, your, yeah. the ability to fuel Dexterity. yourself, na- navigate, your whole yeah. morale, everything. So Yeah, it's...
2: it was just on the pain of it as well. Um don't know what else. What I about the weather? Do... Yeah, that would be it. It <laughs> sounds like there. you got a real <laughs> shit night, <laughs> like that that's the third one. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, pick pick your night, pick your pick your time for going. Not when audio is coming at you.
4: That's brilliant. Are you finished? Are you finished with the Dennis ranking?
2: I see. I got into the car in Donner Park, and and I think my wife Helen asked me something on on those lines. I said, "Yeah, I'm done with it. I'm done with it." <laughs> <laughs> that was then. <laughs> um, I don't know. No, I, I don't know.
4: You can never say uh, never. I suppose
2: you can never say never. You don't know. You know, it, it's 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 a, it's a class class lip today um i've twi- been looking s- sub 20 would be nice
4: sub 20 would be nice sorry sub 20 nice. <laughs> yeah yeah because you got well, you, that, you done I, brilliant I'm didn't you? you done like that's a phenomenal time it was 20 hours 21 minutes was it for the anti-clockwise yeah. yeah phenomenal time then that means you know extra 20 minutes in the summer um so you were looking further afield you said
2: yeah uh, well um i had been looking at the wicklow round for a long time well since since, since the summer um but with lockdowns and COVID and all that, I sort of haven't really been able to get down to record. Um, I like I like to know the path, you know. So I, I like to spend a bit of time down there and just, you know, get to know the mountains and you know get get my way around them. Before you know, I'd, I'd rather do that than just set off and try and do it, you know, blind. Yeah, um, I think you to. And, yeah, and um, the Bob Graham round, I suppose that's. With a lot of people's lists too I, I was over there in the summertime and i uh, managed to wreck a, a first leg of it so um yeah quite into these rounds at the minute
4: um with all the races um canceling at the minute i think there's quite a few people more and more people turning towards the rounds that's one of the reasons why i did the podcast was yeah. to make people realize what they were going into and how difficult and challenging it can be um just to finish then like if somebody was going to do the winter round what would you tell them clockwise or anti-clockwise
2: uh, I didn't do it clockwise in, in the winter, but um, I think, yeah, clockwise is probably an easier way to do it, whether it's winter or summer. In my opinion, you know, other people might find differently, but that final leg was just nailing the coffin for me in, in the anti-clockwise round. Um, Whereas in the summer round, you know, the final bit's familiar territory, you know, the mountains that you run on all the time, you know, the mails, um, and then, you know, nice downhill from Commodore. So, yeah, I would say clockwise
4: you get a bit of security from the wall like as well don't you and it's not yeah like, oh, totally. the first stage clockwise is th- most probably the toughest from a vert perspective like um up and down obviously but obviously you're tired on the set on the last stage which makes it difficult but but switching that round <laughs> what about double
2: yeah. would that, fa- would that ever i think i think you mentioned that to me before and i was shocked at the at the <laughs> at the even idea of it <laughs> But uh, so yeah, somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to somebody's do, it. do it. Yeah, somebody has to do it.
4: I was thinking yeah. about doing it um this year, but I was going to take a tent and maybe three or four days to do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get it done, you'll be the first. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah.
4: Um, thanks very much, Niall. I think we'll wrap it no up problem. with that. Gain the course, um, different stages of the Dennis ranking. And then I got your GPX. I was like, "Hmm, that was an interesting line. Oh, that, look what he'd done there. That was a jam, that was a jammy little move." So you're orienteering and you're being being able to read contours and things like that. It's a huge help, like, isn't it, when you're doing the likes of the Dennis?
3: It it does it, it does help massively. Sort of um, from like like I enjoy the whole process. For something like the ranking round, the sitting down and the actual armchair sort of recce before you actually go out onto the train itself and and sort of uh, see see the route play out uh, as from what you planned in your head um, and you sort of can pick out the trods then when you when you go out on your recce. So yeah, like the orienteering, you you'd develop a better ability or a good ability, should I say? For picking out possible good route choices, but it doesn't always turn out that way. If, you like on a map, it might look like a good route choice, but you have to get out onto the train and actually uh, explore these routes, and you might find that the ground is very grassy, and you'll you'll ditch that that uh, route and maybe choose choose a different option, a longer path option maybe than the straight line route through the grassy ground.
4: So really what you're trying to do, like you talked about armchair recce in there, you're trying to visualize the actual course, map it out, really get it sort of embedded into your head. And then you actually go out on recce sections of it to try. And you're almost trying to learn the course rather than use a map and um, compass on the actual day, aren't you?
3: Yeah, like uh, like when I did the Wicklow round, I, I would have um, actually used the map and compass the whole day or mainly just the map really. I'd I wouldn't I'd think the compasses really just orientate the map on a, on a clear day, but you'd use the energy by actually map reading. So if uh, you can sort of know your route before you go out, then actually you'll, you you can you can sort of save a bit of energy and, and put that into your running speed if you, if you know the course well. And because I live quite close to the Morns, and I'm out there anyways every weekend. I might as well do my long run running around the wrecking the route. So I knew it pretty well by the time I actually went out and did it. Yeah.
4: It, it is a route that you can learn well, isn't it? Like it is. Cause I've been, like I've been doing different stages of it and I, it's come to the point now where you just know it. The, the problem comes obviously on the weather, you know, the weather can change yeah. very much. So like um, if you lose visibility, then map and compass is the way you're going to have to move forward throughout it.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be going out there without carrying a map and compass. Um, there's certain spots in particular that come to mind, like uh, going from Shanleaf to Finleaf would be very much a place that you could get terribly lost if uh, if the fog came down and you had to get yourself over to the top of Finleaf,
4: Yeah, cause um, me, me, me and Aaron were talking about, the, you know, there's a tree there. <laughs> you can see that tree. I was like, did somebody plant that tree specifically for Dennis Rankin? <laughs> but I can only imagine <laughs> when the cloud comes down like you could walk in circles in that place.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but but on a clear day, even though like you can spot you can spot Finn Leave from the top of Shan Leave the previous checkpoint, so you can sort of head out in the right direction. And so on a clear day, all you need to really do, you don't need to necessarily take a an accurate compass bearing. You could just sort of um see where the sun is in the sky and just make sure you keep the sun in the same position your whole way along. And then you then you're not wasting time sort of uh trying to stick to a bearing, you just you're running in that general direction. And, and you're gonna come out at the at the summit of Finleave. It's 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 a quick way of uh, sort of getting through those P tags is just to sort of keep the sun to the same position and how, keep your line.
4: How possible do you think it would be without wrecking the course and learning the course?
3: It depends how good a map reader you are. Like I like mm-hmm. I suppose if if you're a confident map reader, then it's okay. But I wouldn't recommend this. I would suggest that you're better off getting out on the train and sort of uh, making sure that you you're happy with your lines. Also from the point of view that what is on the map might be grotty underfoot, so you might find a, a sheep trod or a sheep path on your reccees, and then you'll know that maybe this will shave a bit of time. That kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's important to to go out, I think, and and do those reccees.
4: Yeah, especially if the weather's going to change on your leg, because you. You can lose total sight and start second-guessing yourself and you're following what you think's the path and you've taken a, a sheep's trail or something and you don't even know where you're going. But you had an yeah, absolute okay. stinking evening like didn't you?
3: I, I did have a bad day but uh, I guess I'd sort of set that day and I'd, I'd my crew members were um sort of ready and prepared for that day and I thought well sure I might as well go and do it and I suppose over the years I've tr- I've run in pretty grassy weather so uh, I was happy enough to go out in a sense. It's it's a day out after all. So
4: what what date did you pick? Towards the end of February. Was there a I reason? So a reason why you picked that date was it just convenience or you weren't like checking out the moon or anything like that?
3: Well, the moon was actually a new moon, so there was um <laughs> it was <laughs> it was actually completely pitch dark. So it, I didn't choose it from that point of view because I would have you would choose yeah. a full moon if you were going to do it for that point of view. No, it's it's I'm a school teacher. So my half term was that week, so I had an opportunity that week. Like I I would want I would have wanted a day beforehand to just without work or where I could relax and and sort of uh, build up the energy reserve and then I wanted a day after to recover without having to work. So half term suited me.
4: Okay, perfect. What time did you start at them? Early in the morning obviously?
3: Yeah, it was four o'clock in the morning. So I sort of judged roughly how long I thought it would take and I figured well I I want to be back before or, or get the, maximize the daylight um in the sort of the trickier areas um of the of the ranking round, which is uh, like I see that as sort of the leg three, sort of going from Deer's Meadow over to Sleve Martin and then maybe Sleeve Martin up to on um, leg four, Sleeve Martin up to Spelgadam. They'd be the sort of toughest navigation wise legs because 'cause you've got linear features for most of the rest of us, so as long as I was in daylight for that,
4: and what about the week leading up to it then like are you getting more sleep, conscious about what you're eating and things like that? um
3: I guess i not really i'd 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 shovel in the past, i suppose a couple of nights beforehand, maybe not too much the actual night before, because uh, it's not fully digested, but maybe two to three nights beforehand i'd I'd eat plenty of carbohydrates. Um, but I'm not too fussy about uh, what I'm eating.
4: Do you need to fuel heavily on uh, on course?
3: Uh, I do. So I I would I would uh, eat lots of well. It depends. I, I I basically I've I had the crew, Carly and uh, and the others had had quite a range of food there for me because my stomach would do funny things. So I'd pizza. I think was I think I enjoyed pizza that day and um, chocolate bars that kind of thing so yeah i would eat quite a bit sweet stuff i found as time goes on maybe i'm i'm not so keen on the sweet stuff after sort of the first 50k or so yeah
4: that's a key thing isn't it when you're doing long distance is to have a little bit of variety you never know what you're going to want at that point in time
3: yeah yeah i like i i don't think i've ever nailed it Um, i certainly have never got nutrition right Um, some people find this a uh, Find it easy enough to sort of run on. They get it right from the start, but I'm I'm yet to find the uh, the the right thing for me.
4: So what about kit then? Um, I think that's a key thing going into a winter round. Like you had, like if I can remember, I heard that Shane Lynch has gone out, is, has gone out the night, and I was like, "Geez, that guy's not going to finish." Like, has he not seen what type of night it is? Yeah. Like it was like 60, 70 mile an hour sort of gusts. And did you get snow yeah. showers or anything like that? But I mean, it's like minus. I don't know what the wind chill yes. was. It's crazy.
3: Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cold. The wind chill was about minus twelve, minus thirteen, uh wind speeds of about yeah, seventy to ninety kilometers per hour. So it was it was pretty uh rough. So I, I yeah, like it's important to make sure that you've got the right kit, um stuff that's going to that you're gonna be comfortable in and survive in effectively like after all you're just going out for a run in the hill so you, you want to come back so I, I wore quite a fair bit on the first leg because it was dark and uh, it sort of it was a good three three hours or so um out there on my own so i like had two pairs of gloves on me I'd maybe two thermals um full-length leggings like a good quality waterproof a rab wa- lightweight waterproof but it saved my life countless times so I would recommend sort of having a really good quality rain jacket and yeah i just i like i didn't feel the cold and i just yeah it was just a a, a, about battling through the wind really and just keep moving like the the important thing for me was just to to not stop for too long because then that's when your body temperature drops
4: yeah what about your feet what were you wearing on your feet
3: a pair of innovates. yeah i I think was possibly mud claws but i normally wear x talons the 212s Yeah and nice and light socks. Yep. What about good, water good, like good cause, rip.
4: Cause it can get pretty Well like just pretty damp out
3: there. Yeah, like yeah, I would have um I just wear a light pair of lightweight pair of socks. It's like uh like your feet are gonna get wet anyway, so I wouldn't be worried about like I have waterproof socks but I wouldn't wear them for a race day or anything like that. Um but it, it wasn't really frozen underfoot. Uh so it wasn't a matter of my feet getting cold, the reason it was cold was because of the wind chill um, as opposed to sort of frozen underfoot there wasn't, like when I was going up Glen River there was no ice in the ice in the, uh, on the steps, like. on the stones, on the steps or anything so um, I knew if it, had it been sort of frozen underfoot, running through the bog, then maybe I would have worn a pair of waterproof socks um, but it wasn't, it wasn't that cold actually in the ground
4: And were you wearing a pack at all?
3: Yeah, so just a running vest. What type of things did you have inside that? Um, so I'd had a space blanket for the first leg, um, just in case as a, an emergency. I'd a uh, in a I'd a spare thermal just in a waterproof bag, just for the first leg as well. Just, just as they, they were safety features because I knew it was I knew it was strong winds and it was going to be very very cold, especially up in Binion And um, on that first leg It was it was really really strong winds
4: that is a that's a key thing though when you said you've got like a a base layer in a plastic bag a lot of people wouldn't do that but like obviously um chamonix etc they'll ask for that because if you stop and you've been sweating you know you get Mm -hmm. cold very very quickly don't you and there's not there's nothing like pulling that top out of a plastic bag and putting a fresh top on before you would get into a survival blanket of sorts like that can make all the difference
3: Mm-hmm. It's good. Yep, com- it's good.
4: Good confidence knowing it's in in there as well, isn't it?
3: It is. Yeah. Like you, it, it it would sort of be foolish on weather on on bad weather to go out without sort of being able. Like I would always go out with the mindset that you need to be able to get yourself safe and, if at all possible, off the mountain yourself. You need to be self sufficient really on the mountain if you can be, unless yeah, yeah. disaster absolutely strikes. I, I carry the mobile phone as well for the. For the duration as well,
4: and like, did you fall at, at any point in time? Because it can get pretty slippy as well, can't it? In some of those bogs. Yeah,
3: well, it was. I think uh, it was actually the wettest February on record, so the the mountains were really slippy. So, like, uh, coming down off Binion, I had a bad fall, um but it wasn't as like it's it's pre it's just because it's so steep. It was like uh, off muck and Moor, and down off um, muck is just grass, so they were very slippy. Um, even though I had a new set of tires on and a new pair of innovates, I was slipping and sliding on on there like so
4: that's part of the challenge though, is not so, it, like as well cause it's oh, so
3: absolutely like look, it's half the fun, you know it's just yeah. like to to go out in 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 conditions like that and but be prepared obviously, but uh it's 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 enjoyable you know that's why we do it um
4: it's hard to tie in a, a specific pair of shoes because the terrain changes so much doesn't it like when you talk about coming down muck and i followed your gpx line you you come pretty you stayed a well away from the wall didn't you you won't come straight down
3: yeah that's it's basically just to avoid the there's a few few sort of small cliffs there uh quite close to the wall so just i just you know it's faster running um coming a little bit off the wall basically.
4: yeah proper fell um, running and almost like when you get the likes of muck you know because it is slippery like coming down there it is you, know, yeah. you uh, sorry foot choice is a very key thing you know especially depending mm-hmm. depending on what the weather is as well you know sometimes it's nice and crisp and dry and you can get away with other things but like generally i would wear speed goats in the mountains just a nice soft trail and it um but you you try and use them on muck like you're sliding from the top right the way down to the bottom
3: Oh, yeah no you need you need good lugs on the bottom of your feet like uh you need something that's gonna grip, and even then, when it's so wet uh you're gonna you're gonna have to sort of correct yourself from a slip or a slide while you're running at full tilt you know yeah. and and maybe and maybe even then you might just have to take a tumble and hope that you don't hit a rock.
4: There's a phenomenal time that you did what what time was it sixteen hours and
3: what was it uh thirty sixteen thirty six
4: yeah, so anybody listening to this, you have to be warned about how cold you can actually get, even though it's a bad night. If you're running sixteen hours, <laughs> you're you're keeping yourself warm, like going over them fells. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Like, um, is there anything in your kit or that you sort of you would have changed if you want to do it again in the winter?
3: Um, no, like a, like I guess if it was a milder day, I wouldn't have carried as much. Like I would, I would certainly be, I would normally be an advocate of minimal kit, but on that day, that was the minimum kit to carry. I probably wouldn't have changed it. Like, uh, like I would, I would adjust what I what I carry and what I wear by what the forecast is going to be and and the forecast for the full day. Yeah. So no, I guess I would have stuck with what I had.
4: And what about what? How much water were you carrying?
3: Well, because it was, it wasn't that warm, um I didn't carry. Didn't, maybe I had. 500 mils, but I would I'd be quite happy to fill up in the streams. And they were raging torrents that day, so it wasn't any shortage <laughs> of <to> water. <laughs> it was a yeah. like I can't
4: explain how mad of a night it was. Like, I remember looking out of the bedroom window and doing something, <laughs> myself, there's no way he's going to finish that tonight. You know, I was going to bed that I night know. and going, There's no way he's going to finish it. And then when I heard your time the next night, I was like, No way, he must have uh, missed one of the stages out or something. <laughs> Oh, so no,
3: look there's there's plenty of uh, guys have run plenty faster since then, so it was an it was an okay time, you know, but uh, there's plenty of faster lads out there that would do much, much quicker, like Stephen's time there is much much quicker, you know yeah thirteen albeit oh, in the summer, but still
4: thirteen hours like that was uh
3: yeah 13, almost misbelief, you know it I was
4: guess. when people seen that, they were like, well, that was a shock. Not because it yeah, was Stephen, yeah. just because of the time. It wouldn't matter who had pulled yeah, that time yeah. out. It was like, whoa, yeah. nobody would even have thought that could have been done in at yeah, that no. time,
3: at this stage. He, he was he was just strong from start to finish.
4: But obviously yourself and Stephen um, do a lot of work together up there as well and do a lot of the recce, and it's a key part of getting ready for the rounds is recce it and, is, and yeah. learning the lines. Like You can lose like 15 minutes on a bad line from one summit to the next.
3: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like I would like and and you know like just the whole process of the journey towards doing the the actual ranking round is like the going out and doing the recce's like you, you, you there's a lot of enjoyment to be got from it and you know um like i would recommend if people are looking to sort of improve their navigation skills doing something like the ranking round would be a good way of sort of dipping your toe in in the water for sort of improving your navigation skills and stuff
4: yeah, so you decided to go up to up the Glen River because obviously the conditions were that bad on the feet. You come up, yeah, Donard.
3: and like I'd, like I suppose I got a bit of a shock when I went up uh, right at the very start because I'd sort of run up like from uh, Donard Park so many times, and uh, I was running up the normal path and like obviously it was pitch dark, but there was a there had been trees that had just uh, freshly fallen down trees. Uh, that morning. So I sort of got to these and I was like, where have I, I'm I'm lost here. Because I thought I'd lost the trail or something. But then sort of, uh, so I navigate, negotiate getting around these these trees and then eventually found where I was again and I was happy enough again. But then, yeah, I guess uh got out to where the ice house was. In fact, I'd ran past the ice house before I'd realised I had. Um, because it was, like, there was no, because it was, it was, um, New moon, there was no visit, like, it was just, it was just pitch dark, so there was no point in taking the risk, uh, time-wise of going straight up the black stairs, um, and it was, it was pretty windy, like, so it was a, it was a bit of a wind tunnel coming right down the valley at me, so it was just, it was a, it was a smarter decision, I think, to go up the Glen River, so, yeah, I just, I suppose I just sort of changed that en route, um. You I, do,
4: you I, do have to do that, though, don't you? You do have to be adaptable.
3: Absolutely, yeah, Yep. Yeah, um, like, I would have, um, on a, like, if it was it's summer round, I would probably go up the black stairs just because I think it would shave a couple of minutes off it. But then again, you're sort of, it's a steeper, steeper yeah. climb, so maybe you're going to take something out your legs for later in the round.
4: But how did you find your pace in, like, because you have to, you do need to, uh, because it's a pretty, like, that first stage is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure you don't push too hard that you haven't got anything left for the fifth stage. Yeah, well, like,
3: uh, I thought I was going at a decent enough pace, but uh, I guess it, like the wind took its toll over the day, so I slowed quite a lot during the day. So maybe on that day I was maybe went out too fast and what my body could manage, um, because I slowed quite a bit in the third leg because of it. But I guess it was just it was just sort of dealing with the dealing with the conditions, I suppose. Yeah. So I I, I think I think if I was to do it again, I would go out just as hard um and certainly if uh,
4: if no, number one going out again you haven't learned anything number two going out as hard you definitely haven't learned anything <laughs> from the <first> one, like. <laughs> yeah. and if yeah. the we- if weather was as bad i would still go out <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. talk me through talk me through how it actually went a little bit and i didn't really break it down um with the other guests so mm. you know you come up to dawn it can be pretty blowy up there on those type of conditions but you do get a bit of shelter going up from the wall
3: yeah no it was fine then it was just in patches where it was it was uh, quite windy um so yeah like i was i felt I was making good progress it was still dark going coming off it was dark until I got to the top of binion basically um so i to uh, i had a couple of like i went straight line towards from chimney to well slightly off slightly off straight line from chimney to rocky so uh, I was glad to sort of like did a slightly safe bearing to the right, just to make sure that I hit the wall, and I knew that uh, Rocky was on the left, so I was glad that I got that navigation uh, spot on. And then, then the rest is easy for the rest of that leg. It's just follow around the brandy pad, um up over,
4: um, Big Cove,
3: Big Cove, co- Cove, yeah, Big Cove, Lamagan. So that that all sort of seemed to go by fairly quick, and then top of it was very windy and actually uh, that's, uh so I've learned something like the the take home from from the whole round was actually uh have a pair of glasses or like maybe clear specks and um, because I actually the the wind dried my eyes out so much that I, it blurred my eyes for the rest of the the round
4: okay good tip yeah sometimes yeah. you know you hit the wind <laughs> up there my eyes water a lot when i'm up there you know and it's like it really yeah. slows you down when you're when you're on the descent
3: yeah, so I guess I would that contend with, but like because I knew the course so well, I just I just knew to like I could head in the right direction, and I knew then I'd spot features. Yeah. Uh, that's I'd quite, quite, I. There's quite quite a lot so. of
4: elevation in that first stage. Like you don't get to see anybody then really until you finish that first stage in Silent mm-hmm. Valley.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I think there's maybe there's like two thousand three hundred meters of the ascent is in that first bit. So you you've covered you've covered sort of maybe a quarter of the distance and a third of the climb after that first leg. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a long leg. So I like I felt I was moving fairly quick. I think it was maybe three hours, 15 minutes, something like that for the first leg. Um,
4: <laughs> you, you were flying. Um, how important was it having the crew there then at that stage? It really does lift morale, doesn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. Because like I had seen nothing but, a well, I'd seen a badger. <laughs> uh, on the top of uh, chimney, but other than that, I'd not seen anything else that was living. Uh, so yeah, it was great to just. It was a quick stop at that stage because I'd still energy in the legs, so it was just a quick sort of uh, refuel, coke, filled up with some more jellies and stuff, and headed off. Yeah, so that was good to have them there. And then
4: quite, it was quite an enjoyable the next bit, isn't it? Really, like so you have sleeping in the clock, and then you're heading over to Doan. Doan, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, a
3: nice short leg.
4: Yeah, but, but, but again, the line, the again, line um, between Ben Crumb impo- and Duane is very, you need to get that right.
3: Yeah, like there's yeah there's uh, like there's like some, there's definitely stuff which you could mess up with because uh, there's rough ground. So you don't want to, you don't basically want to drop too much. You want to sort of do a bit of a banana leg between the two hills. Like you don't want to, you sort of want to judge how much to drop and how far out to go. Yeah, it's but I enjoyed sort of like I'm I'm well used to running over rough ground like that with the orienteering, so that that kind of ground is, is sort of where I is this stuff where I excel, I suppose. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I enjoyed leg too, but it it is energy sapping. So I suppose I started to feel my legs tiring a little then as I was sort of coming off um, Ben Crom and heading back over towards or Off dawn and back over towards Carn
4: key point there is as you said that you don't want to drop too low you don't want to make the the climb up bencrom then too steep um but then you don't want to go too high that you're adding too much sort of distance into it
3: yeah yeah so it's that's that's one
4: key point to recce and try and get some sort of line there because as you say it's pretty rough ground. um i i i done it during the night there not that long ago Two or three weeks ago. No, very good. I um yeah. I went way off. <laughs> it's like Jesus. <laughs> I tried to do it without the yeah. watch and I ended up putting the watch on and I was nowhere near where I thought I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it can yeah, happen well, it can uh, happen so
0: simple.
3: It's, it's well it's so different to to run it like you can run a route twenty times during the day, but if you go out at night it's completely different, you know I find. So if you if you're gonna if you're gonna be doing that that leg of the journey at night time, it's worth maybe uh going out in the dark and and wrecking that bit of where you're going to be in 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 the dark
4: yeah no get that um then when you head over to the west sort of side of the mountains then you know you come down muck deer meadow was your crew waiting for you there Mm -hmm. again
3: they were of course yeah very good um what type of things
4: did you get anything warm inside do you think that's important
3: uh well i I didn't actually have anything warm all day, I don't think, but uh it would yeah. certainly it would certainly be uh if you can get access to it definitely I think it would be a good thing yeah um like maybe even just a uh, even a hot drink or something would be yeah. good but uh it was all about uh just sort of keeping moving at that stage for me
4: so up till eagle and shan leave you know it's not too bad you know mm-hmm. you you've got pigeon there. Sleep mucking the more. Uh we sleep yeah. mucking the more. Um which can be mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's not a big distance obviously. Quite a steep downhill there. You come across yeah. and I actually wreckied your section the next night after you doing it. And there was snow mm-hmm. up on Eagle that night.
3: Yeah. Um yeah.
4: I remember seeing your footprints when the, that must have <laughs> that must have been his <laughs> footprints there. they're a lot lighter than mine yeah. <laughs> in the snow. Mine were going twice <laughs> oh, as deep. Know um but it can become very not difficult but you can lose lines or lose a lot of time on your lines then from there to sleep martin
3: uh yeah yeah like the definitely yeah like the like as we said earlier there with um going shan leave to fin leave it's just it's important to just i suppose like i would have had my compass out for that point and just just keeping an eye just making sure i'm heading in the general general right direction and as i said uh just having the sun in the same position in the sky as you're running along—that's that's really helpful. Um, if, it's the <laughs> if it's during the day, if it's during the day, use stars if not. Yeah, 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 exactly. But you yeah, you, you went pretty yeah, you went
4: pretty open ground there though over to Sleep Martin because I remember when I was following your your Strava then mm-hmm. you know it was proper fell running like anybody that's not used to those sort of things like don't be looking for worrying about looking for courses as long as you're you've got the right um, direction just keep moving (laughs) don't think about it too much
3: yeah like going down towards um well to sleeve mean first i suppose you're you're aiming for the corner of the forest and then maybe up along the side of the forest and i nipped into the forest for a bit uh onto the to get the track running just easier than going up through the the marshy ground
4: because those are key things as well it can be pretty swampy up there like along that course like and then in around sleeve martin
3: no, I actually haven't read it. Yeah, well, is it is it the is it the Yellow River that you cross? Yeah. That's what the name of the river is? Uh, yeah. So that was that was pretty overflowing. So I, to, it was it was fun trying to cross it. That was sort of a waist deep sort of torrent that day. So, uh, and in fact, there was a, there was an extra river that isn't normally there. So, <laughs> so yeah, once. Got it, <laughs> you
4: didn't yeah, bring your arm bands then.
3: You didn't bring your armbands. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have had that in the kit. Yeah.
4: How how were you feeling at that stage?
3: Like. How uh you... Well, I I got over a low. Um, my lowest point I was actually getting up more and, and up Eagle. Um, was uh, I wasn't feeling too bad at that stage. It was like uh, it was it was it, I suppose it was I was battling like the going over the top of Finleave. There was a hail hailstorm there that sort of just that was coming at horizontally at me so that I was reduced to a walk there sort of pushing into the wind but then once, you, once I'm off and leave then you're flying again like you're down out of the wind again um, so, so those points there were probably the lowest the, they were the toughest points in the, on the round so I sort of picked, perked up again after that especially when we got to uh, the, the third checkpoint that's Steve Martin I sort of sat down there for a good 10 minutes um, there was a there was a good crew of people there, and they fueled me up well, and um, off yeah, I set. It then, makes but, a huge uh, difference,
4: doesn't it? Like you know, when you you sit yep. there and you're you're sitting well low, you think you've no energy left. Um, a bit of a fuel up, yep. you know, five ten minutes, and then away you go again. You can feel it just kick in, can't you? Like
3: yeah, absolutely, yeah.
4: And you just keep your fingers crossed; it'll last a while.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, leg four, leg four is uh, is is actually quite a runnable leg, apart from maybe just. Dipping off the paths for getting up um, a couple of the hills like Sleeve. Well, Crenville is sort of uh, can be rough, but actually, there's quite good paths through it now from the amount of people wrecking it. Um, Sleeve mean. Um, Crem- Crenville rough.
4: can be pretty rough, though. It can be pretty heavy. Yeah, on the legs. it can be,
3: but uh, like, find like that's that is definitely worth a wrecky because there's. There's a there's a well trodden path through it now. So like I remember the very first time I went and ran a bit of the um rank and round was way back in twenty seventeen, just and then sort of dropped out of my radar for a couple of years. But in twenty seventeen it was just pure rough. It was just there was nothing. There was just tussocks up to above your knees, up almost up to your waist, like in the middle of the summer. And uh but now but now there's a lovely there's a lovely trod that Basically takes you right the way through it? and and out on out the far side onto the um, forest tracks, so well worth a recce there.
4: So how did you feel getting into Spelga? Then it's a bit of a it sort of changes the dynamic slightly. Then when you get into Spelga, doesn't
3: it? Uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, navi-
4: you lose the navigation aspect of it because you're going to move in up to up there and then you've got the wall that's going to take you home. Yeah,
3: just- yeah, yeah. Well I was I was knackered, I suppose and <laughs> like I had Stephen uh um running the last two legs with me so that was a big help. Um just he was sort of gene me on like and uh so just having someone to run with then for the last two legs was, was helpful. So yeah, I was just I was just struggling going up the from off. Like, I picked up a pair of poles actually and used those and they were helpful to to get me up over those steep hills. I wouldn't be the strongest uh Going up, up the up the steep hills, so having the poles at that stage, and I was well, well and truly toasted at that stage. So uh, that's yeah. It, was,
4: it can be it was a pretty a cool. It's a pretty cool round at that point, like um, you know, because it is just up, down, up, down. <laughs> <But> like <laughs> those last few, yep. you know, Loch Shannon and the Meals and Burner. Yeah, they're almost like yep. pyramids. You know, there's no in-between bits like.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. They're not. They look. They the morns are lovely, and especially the northeast morns, like so. Yeah, they they're sort of like a, a basket of eggs almost.
4: And then coming down, you came down the front of Commodore?
3: Uh yeah, front of Commodore, I think that's what, that's what it's called. Yeah, and um, so straight off Commodore, yeah. Um, Craig and Carly and my mate Neil had come up and met us, and uh, Craig led us down in the dark. So that's a, that was also a big help because it actually. Picked up my speed for the last little bit down because it was it was dark at that stage and tired. So Craig Craig led me off there. So that was that was useful. Yeah,
4: and then you you have to run through the car park like uh, a crazy person. <laughs> you, you oh see, yeah, you see everybody it's quite a busy car park. Like you know, and you see everybody looking at you coming down through like some sort of monster <laughs> coming off the mountains yeah, so. and people giving you all sorts of strange looks. Um, but it must be a pretty nice relief when you hit that arch again.
3: Absolutely, yeah. No, it was, I know, it was great. Yeah, no, it was, it was nice. It was just a relief and a good day out, you know. It was, yeah, it was good fun. Um, how do you yep. find
4: How do you find that? So you mentioned the Wicklow round there. So you've done the Wicklow round. Because the Wicklow round times mm-hmm. aren't as quick as what we're seeing in the morns. Mm-hmm. Originally, I yep. would have thought that the moors would have been harder, but obviously the times sort of dictate that it's not. Yep. How, do, how do you find they're just two totally different rounds altogether?
3: Yeah, like I would the like the Wicklow round is longer, but it's probably got it's got a fair bit less climb, I would think. Um, but it's probably a lot rougher. Um, and then obviously there's like with the Wicklow round, you have to navigate yourself; you're self-supported. Um, uh, apart from road crossing, so you you can't have say someone out there on the hill with you, and um, so you're navigating your own way around. So either a lot of wrecking or you have your map with you. Um, but you'd need a lot of wreckies because, like the as you said earlier, the the rank round is quite an easy round to learn off. There's not too many decision points. There'd be a lot more decision points in the Wicklow round. So um, you'd you really need to either wreck it loads or just carry a map and compass and, and uh, sort of navigate a lot more of it. With, I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell which is tougher.
4: Yeah, we, we Don't even answer that. I wouldn't even, don't even yeah. answer it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. Yeah, no, <laughs> There'll be a huge debate over social media. Like oh, the people will be listening yeah, to us yeah. laughing their heads off at, at that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So key things I'm sort of really pulling out of that for a winter round. Um, obviously do your homework, you know, make sure you recce it make sure you've got good kit with you um, make mm-hmm. sure that you've got good survival equipment that, you know, if it does go wrong, that you can yeah. survive up there and you, you can be sort of self-sufficient. Good crew is very important during the winter round very as well. So, yeah. um, but you have to be fit and on form doing this. Like when you talk mm-hmm. about those type of conditions um, your body does go through a lot. So you need to make mm-hmm. sure that it's ready to take that on. Um, Cause yeah. it's, it's all right. I always tell people it's all right till it's not. All right. You know mm-hmm. if you do if you're lacking if your kit's ninety percent good enough, it's not really good enough. you know it's yep. and that's where I sort of tell people you know it's all right until it's not all right. you might think it's all right, but you have to think about that moment in time where it might just go all wrong. What would you do um but it is to your point like you were still enjoying it in <laughs> 90 mile hour winds minus twelve hailstorms, snow all that good stuff. I went up the next evening and it was absolutely beautiful, actually. <laughs> there yep. wasn't an air. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be very, <laughs> very hit and miss like that. Um, but it can still be enjoyable in the winter and you want it to be enjoyable and safe.
3: Yep. I would suggest that if people are going, like, go out on a on a run, you know, well in bad conditions, if you plan to do a winter round yeah, and sort that, of get is... used to those conditions if you yeah. are going to do a winter round.
4: That's it. That's a key point. Like, get out in the wind and rain in the middle of the night. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're gonna try and do a round in that, you need to make sure that you're mm-hmm. you're used to that and comfortable with that. And the more that you do that, obviously, the more your mind will be comfortable. With it. because you need to be confident in going through those mountains. There's no two mm-hmm. ways about that. Like, um, Shane, thanks very much. I think that sounded. That yeah, was a no, winner. thank you. Um, a great way <laughs> to finish the winter rounds. That was absolutely epic. Plenty of information in there to help you appreciate how tough the winter round is. But if you're correctly prepared with the right people by your side, it can be a beautifully painful experience. I'm actually heading for an operation on the plantar plate this weekend after tearing it completely during the Seven Sisters this year. My first DNF, that means I'll not be in the mountains for the next four to five months, but no better time to get this injury sorted. There may even be a winter round on the Cards next year. Who knows? I might even talk Niall Gibney into a double round record. We have Robbie Britton on next week, an exceptional ultra running coach, so we'll look forward to that. So until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.